You are listening to The New Prisoners. A copy of each week's monologue and source list are available on our Minds page and Substack. Check out our video content on BitChute, Odyssey, and Rumble. For audio versions, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Anchor. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you find us, including YouTube. Join the conversation by leaving your comments on our Minds, Substack, BitChute, Odyssey, and Rumble pages. You can follow The New Prisoners and The New Prisoner Number 6 on Instagram and at New Prisoner and the Number 6 on Twitter. If you would like to be a guest, please email The New Prisoner Number 6 at protonmail.com. Provide a brief description of the topic or topics that you would like to discuss, and a screener will contact you. You can always choose to appear anonymously. Now let's get on with the show. When I was a young man, I used to get allergy shots. Every week, and eventually every other week, I would go to my pediatrician's office and get them. So would my sister. One day, the pediatrician's assistant or nurse switched up the two vials, and my sister ended up getting my dose, and I got hers. I was fine, but my sister's allergies have always been much more severe than mine, and with me being further along in the treatment for them, my dose was much stronger. As you can probably guess, this was catastrophic for my poor sister. My mother watched in horror as my sister went into an immediate anaphylactic shock. My sister's face swelled, her eyes bulged, her throat was closing, and she was gasping for air. Anyone can imagine being a parent and watching helplessly as their child struggles to breathe and feel the anxiety and panic my mom must have felt. The whole staff was also in a panic to save my sister's life and rushed her into the back room from the waiting room and gave her epinephrine. And luckily, my sister survived what would have been a fatal mistake. I love you, sis. My point to bringing up this little anecdote is that people are fallible. We make mistakes. In the healthcare field, those mistakes are some of the most costly you can find. That's why we put such a high trust in our medical professionals to be able to carry out their duties with as minimal amount of mistakes as possible. We trust our doctors, nurses, and pharmacists to give us the right medication, not only so that we can get better or maintain our health, but also because the repercussions of taking the wrong things can be the last mistake we ever make. But what if in that situation with my sister, with the switching of the vials, wasn't a mistake? Our medical establishment, for over the past year and a half now, have knowingly been giving a medication to people with severe side effects. Those side effects have led to the disfigurement and death of countless amounts of people. And they aren't stopping. When my sister was struggling to breathe, the nurse didn't diagnose her with a stomach ache like Pfizer did to Maddie DeGary. 
They did what they could to reverse the mistake they had made. My sister recovered, and we ended up still going to that office until we were adults. My mom and both my sister and I understood that the doctors and nurses weren't trying to kill us because they did something about their mistake. But if they hadn't and just told us that it was all in our heads or blamed it on some precondition that my sister had or made claims that the correlation between the shot they had given and my sister's death was just a coincidence, could you imagine the anger and outrage my mother would have felt? My mother would have been justified in all of her righteous indignation if that would have occurred. Lawsuits, calls for licenses to be stripped from people, and even jail time would have been warranted for those involved depending on what could have been proven. Which is why it is so important that we get transparency and accountability from the medical establishment. Even if we have to take them to court. If we compare this anecdote of mine to what is happening in the current day with these vaccines, it's like multiplying what my sister went through into the millions. Our medical institutions are in denial of any fault, not only in what they did to populations across the world, but of what companies like Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca have done to the people. They call us conspiracy theorists for pointing out the blood clots, the strokes, the Guillain-Barre syndrome, the myocarditis and pericarditis, and the deaths. They tell people like Jimmy Dore that he's spreading misinformation or causing vaccine hesitancy when he tells his audience that his own doctor told him it gave him and other people the same effects as long COVID. A couple months later, the truth slips out and people forget about those who spoke up because the media gaslights and gatekeeps the access to voices like Dorr and others like Eric Clapton. In what world would we allow the people we trust with our lives to continue to get away with this? We at the New Prisoners sure as hell ain't. Our people are standing up. We are calling these bastards out and we will never stop until there is justice. We want to broadcast the stories of the people who have suffered and died because of the state-sponsored malpractice brought to you by Pfizer and its peers. We want to hear from doctors and nurses who aren't afraid to tell their stories to a public who has had its reality curated for over the past two years to believe and trust in the only science presented to them and beat into their brains to evoke what is now a religious response. A religion of population control, of a biosecurity police state run by oligarchical technocrats, and one of what some would say is the work of Satan himself because of the evils of murder and child sacrifice to this false idol of safety. Joining us this week is a man who had seen enough and decided to speak up about it. Bearing the weight of the dark truths of the pharmaceutical industry, he has carried the burden of knowing these truths 
and he brought them to our doorstep here at the New Prisoners. He brought it to us because he knows our audience will listen and look into the receipts he brings. That we won't back down until we shut this shit down. That we will never stop until there is justice for the people our sickening and perverse medical system put in charge of this pandemic. We have lost too many. And that suffering we feel for that loss may never end. But if there isn't a hell, we will build one on earth for the people who did this to our friends, our family, and ourselves. Our fire burns eternal so that the murderous hordes that carried out this campaign of death can writhe in them. Now I ask of you to lend us your time. Listen to the words our friend TJ has for us this week and spread it to all that need to hear it. As all the brave people at the rallies around the world have shown us, we are not alone. Let TJ know that you have his back by subscribing to his channel and dropping a comment to thank him for his bravery. It's certainly no mistake. He calls it healthy courage, which is what our world needs to make this right. Okay, I'm number six. This is The New Prisoners, and I'm here with John Henry. And we also have a special guest this evening, uh, Mr. TJ Wright. And tonight we're going to talk about a few different things, but I definitely wanted to uh, bring TJ on the show because he has a a channel called Healthy Courage out there where he's talked a lot about health and politics. And those two uh, really blend together really well in the past few years, uh, if you haven't noticed. Uh, So it's going to be great having him on. Um, He has a level of expertise that far exceeds John Henry and I's. Um, so we're going to give him the floor a little bit later to, uh, tell you all in the audience about some things that, uh, man, that I wasn't aware of. And I try and keep my ear to the ground as much as I can and soak up as much information these days. But I was blown away with, with what, uh, TJ was able to provide us, uh, this week. And I've also put that all on this week's source list. I think it's up to, along with his notes explaining um, all of this, it goes up to about 14 pages. So yeah, we are we are stacked tonight with information, um, and I'm excited about it. So uh, John Henry, do you want to say hi to the people this week? What's up, everybody? I'm back. I hope you all really enjoyed uh, yesterday's episode with Jane and Priya about the battle against Bank of Hawaii. So that was a great one. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to be... Uh, just a, a listener for that one, uh, but really great job of you, number six. And again, folks, I highly recommend that you go and visit that. That's, uh, you know, it's very enlightening on uh, the, the powers that be or really what their interpretation of themselves is and and what they're able to do in, in the way of how they treat people, uh, put restrictions on their life uh, in that instance on whether or not they were able to have a bank account. So uh, really just two great, strong women, uh, freedom fighters. So just happy to be part of their community and join with them and really looking forward to the next conversation. Um, you know, I'm super excited about tonight's uh, episode. You know, number six and TJ have been in a lot of communication and obviously, um, you know, number six and I were kind of like both uh, Neanderthal cavemen that just hit yes. things with sticks and rocks. So I'm really excited to get somebody on here. Uh, just really an outstanding conversation coming up. 
and uh, put your helmets on, everybody, uh, because there's some stuff uh, as far as tonight's show notes that I was reading through that uh, that blew my mind. And at this point, if that's blowing my mind, I can only imagine what y'all are going to learn uh, this evening. So I just want to welcome TJ, and I'm um, happy to be back. So let's get at it. Heck yeah. And TJ, you want to say hi to the audience? Yeah, thanks guys for having me. Uh, uh, I am a, a student now of pharmacy school. I have a four-year degree in biochemistry, so I do have a little bit of expertise in that field. And uh, as it pertains to medicine, I'm still a novice in that area, but I definitely can do my own research. And I uh, I think it's very important for people to get in, interested in, and involved in some of the things that are going on because there's something going around in medicine right now. And there's some group think that I can't seem to figure out why the way medicine is going the way that it is. And it doesn't have to pertain to just COVID. It's got many, many uh, areas of medicine that are mucked up with politics, I would say, but I, I think it's more than that. So I think that people need to parse the information and figure it out. Thanks guys for having me. All right. And uh, so this week I wanted to open up uh, with a segment that I want to title and I want to do this sort of on purpose because th- there is a, a a great American figure out there that has been an inspiration to me and John Henry uh, through, uh, I guess, all of our lives. And um, I'm going to name this is segment. Is it Dan Crenshaw? It is not Dan Crenshaw. <laughs> Fuck you know? Dan Crenshaw. I just want to um, open up today's show with one of those. Please go we, we honestly should start including a whole separate segment just called Fuck Dan Crenshaw, because uh, just just to get into it now, um, I'm going to title this the free for all in honor of Ted Nugent, a great American. Beautiful. Uh, yes. And because I, I know that there's there's a point in every broadcast that John Henry and I have where we have an idea that we're going to go after like a, a sort of a central topic or, you know, one big story of the week. And then we end up talking about 28,000 different things. So this kind of gives us a chance to like vent about how we feel about the news of the week and uh, sort of update you all on a few stories that maybe we've been following here at the New Prisoners. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely wanted to start out this week's with, um, well, yeah, we can, we can talk about Den Crenshaw. Let's do that. Did anybody see the video of the young girl making Dan Crenshaw look like a giant piece of shit? She's an American hero. unbelievable and i loved you know obviously those are conservative people that were there during that conversation so when you see the crowd start to boo him and yell at him because he snapped at uh, i think she was 10 years old was it nine or ten oh i'd have to check but yeah i mean she was man so she's either nine or ten and you know she uh she lays out a very pertinent point and you know he's doing some type of public speaking it looked at maybe at a restaurant something of the like and uh i mean genuinely he snapped at this girl and the crowd started booing and hissing him um you know and it's uh you know when you look at that on on that intimate level of him being in a small venue like that one of the things to me that was beautiful and reassuring is people were sick of this shit they're sick of it you know and when they see this guy who they know has been hypocritical uh, and is absolutely flip-flopped on his stance on things, coming out as a, a pro-Constitution patriot, military veteran. And again, we'll always be grateful for his service. Um, but you watch him basically get punked and bitch-slapped by this 10-year-old girl. And like a bully, he snaps back at her. And the crowd just erupted. It's wild. It's wild to see that. But again, I love it because you can see... You know, the the pro and con of everybody being on a knife edge right now, like naturally, we're already in a mode where tension is extremely high for everybody. There's so much division in the country. You know, the opinions uh, are facts and everybody's own 
mind and I and you know ideology. So it, things are very combative, and you know people are going at each other. And I love to see that people were there as a supporter of him. Go, hey, fuck you, man! You don't yell at a kid like that. What's wrong with you? So he's completely diminishing any character that he had left whatsoever. And I love it. I think it's great. To me, that's just reassuring that, you know, that's, um, you know, that's people saying we're conservative. But just because you have an R next to your name, we're not going to be supportive of you if you're doing the wrong thing. So to me, that's a win on that video. I loved it. TJ, I just sent you the article uh, via your Instagram uh, so it should be. In yeah, I see it there. It's, yep. uh, I, I mean, I kind of like some of the policies. He seems to be a little bit of a libertarian, but he just kind of licks his finger and sees which way the wind's blowing. And I, I, I don't like that about him. He does some decent things where I'm like, yeah, he's, he's, he's doing all right. But he he doesn't hold a candle to people like people like me. I like Tom Cotton and, and Rand Paul. Rand Paul's a big, big deal to me. And so like when people compare Rand Paul to like Dan Crenshaw, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, no. No. Yeah, not even close. Those uh, two, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you got I mean, right. Rand yeah. Paul, Tom Cotton. That's a name that doesn't get enough attention. I don't think. Tom Rand Paul. Been a bad no, I would love to see yeah. Rand Paul run for a president. Rand Paul was yes. a scalpel, and mm-hmm. Dan Crenshaw's a butter knife. Like the precision that Rand Paul has through his questioning and just his level of intelligence. Uh, I mean, I absolutely admire that guy too. He's he's incredible. Well, his yeah, daddy's a smart man. From him. <laughs> was uh, he, he stood in front of a Senate doing a Senate hearing and he went through a list of NIH studies where they just blew through money. There was like a $2 million study to see if hot tubs reduce stress and another million dollar study determine if alcohol consumption increased the amount of times you fell down. I was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I could have done that study for $14. All I would have had to do was buy a 30 pack of Bush beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could have yeah. saved the government a lot of money on that one. Yeah. So or, or John Henry, give me a half a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really need to get into Back that. in the day. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've done a little testing ourselves and our youth. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, I've done experiments in the last couple of weeks myself. It <sighs> checks out. Yes. Yes, it does. Man. <laughs> But here's a here's a great segue that I just uh, thought of a little bit earlier, and I don't know why it popped into my head, but there was a crazy story this week about hamsters getting COVID and then having to be like exterminated in mass in China. And I was thinking that's a waste of hamsters. And then are you going to eat them? And then and we could have a we could have a great <laughs> NIH likely. study to see how many hamsters that Dan Crenshaw could put in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's tax dollars well spent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, we don't like waste here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Hey, um, since we're just going to kind of freestyle it for a second, TJ, I want to throw this at you um, because one of the things that, that stuck out to me as far as, um, you know, w- w- your opening statement there about, you know, there's just some funny things happening in the in the medical world and pharmaceutical world besides everything with the vaccine and the covid and, uh, and one of the things I want to talk about is obviously we see that, you know, mainstream media, social media, they start to manipulate reality, right? And they start to kind of use that Overton window to make that shift of what our new norm is. And one of the things that we talk about the show so much is metabolic health, right? It's actually how do we, how are we in general resistant to disease and illness? And what are we doing to be focused on that? So one of the things that you do not hear and basically anywhere except for fringe trainers or doctors is really the new normal 
in the terms of what's considered health, right? So as an example, on Self Magazine's cover, I saw it about a week ago, it, there was a morbidly obese woman. I'm not, she wasn't thick. She wasn't a big girl and big bone. She was morbidly obese. And, and the line on it was, you know, the new fit, right? So when you see how they manipulate that, where what we know is people that are symptomatic, I believe it was 86% of people that were symptomatic uh, or had severe issues with COVID ended up in the hospital uh, were obese. And that was something that really, really, really um, it just, it, it amplified the effects of COVID. So, you know, being with your medical background, what are your thoughts on that as far as them, frankly, just not acknowledging what actual health is from a, a physical or biophysical standpoint? I, I just, I can't seem to figure it out myself. I don't know what, what the issue is or why people are trying to dodge that topic because diabetes is a really good example. A lot of people always say, oh, metformin is a good option. Then you can go to your sulfonylureas like glipizide or glimipiride. And then a lot of people say, oh, we'll go on to the GLP agonists it's like the new injectable ones like Ozempic. You probably see commercials for Ozempic or Trulicity. Those, those do definitely work very well for aiding weight loss and, and all these other metabolic functions. However, forgetting the main factor is diet and exercise 100% without there's, there's no counter argument to that. The best, the best treatment for your health is to cut carbs and exercise daily. I, I can't figure it. And that, that goes for literally everything in the history of health, all the way down to cancer and autoimmune issues. Jordan Peterson talks about it quite a bit, how he, uh, he, he suffers from like psoriasis, you know, the, the scaly skin and stuff like that. And he was talking about how he was you know, a little bit overweight and he almost completely cut carbs out of his diet. Then he did completely cut carbs out of his diet, was eating specifically only meat and vegetables Then switched to specifically only meat. And he said, all of my issues went away. No, that's also, it's him pounds. and his daughter have converted yes. to full yeah. carnivore. And I know that she um, had severe joint issues and actually had a full ankle replacement when she was really, really young. And, you know, I actually, it's funny that we're talking about this because I uh, started carnivore after Christmas. Um, you know, I generally eat healthy, but I wanted to give it a shot. And that was one of the reasons is you see, you know, Jordan Peterson, you see Sean Baker, Chris Bell, Mark Bell, a lot of these people that are out there that are big proponents, even Rogan talks about it in, in the month that he did it, how he was in the best shape of his entire life. Uh, I subsequently got what's called keto rash, where I wanted to rip the skin off of my body. Um, and it was severe and that's one of the potential side effects of it. But what's crazy is I felt amazing on it. Like my mental acuity, my focus, my energy level, my sleep was absolutely outstanding. And, you know, it is in one of the reasons that I, I say this, and maybe this is taken to an extreme, but that's something I'm really good at is taking things to an extreme body positivity. To me, when I hear body positivity, I genuinely feel that that is synonymous with eugenics, right? And we obviously know the dependency on big pharma. Big pharma just uses us as an, a resource, just like we were in the matrix, right? But instead of a resource of energy, it's a resource of our dollars. Uh, it, it really taxes the healthcare system. And, and that's something that I just don't understand how this hasn't become widely recognized, that they want to perpetuate the idea that as long as you're positive about your body, even if you are morbidly obese and weigh 400 pounds, where otherwise you a healthy body weight for you is 170 pounds, that that's okay. 
And, you know, and as you mentioned, diabetes is really a big one. So I live in Hawaii and we have a severe issue with diabetes out here. Hell, all four of my grandparents all have diabetes. You know, so for me, I consciously look at the fact that one of my grandfathers, um, he had his toes cut off one at a time and then his foot and then his leg. Right. I see my grandma taking insulin. I understand what that means. So for me, I'm conscious to say, okay, I shouldn't eat refined sugar. I should have a low carb diet because otherwise I'm susceptible susceptible to these, you know, severe issues that otherwise um, that, that, that I'm that there's a good possibility that if I didn't do the right thing, that I would have that. And, you know, well, go ahead. you're on the right track, uh, but too many people seem to get it stuck that genetics has this huge role in type two diabetes. Now type one diabetes is the one where people are basically born with it and their beta cells and their pancreatic islets don't produce the proper insulin or they don't produce insulin at all. And that has no fault of, of the person who has the diabetes, but type two diabetes Genetics has less than 5% to do with it. You know, it has everything to do with diet and exercise on, you know, 95%. It's, it's this thing where people have been almost reprogrammed and, and the name number six, new prisoner, number six, where, you know, that, that, that show, that uh, character, yes. the brainwashing, the rebrainwiring of the way that we seek out information is so confusing to me because I can't seem to figure out why people don't want to talk about the fact that diet and exercise, and, and I'm not even talking about a lot here because I don't eat great myself uh, and I don't exercise every day, yet I do uh, a simple fast, 16-hour fast twice a week, and I am perfect BMI, 22.5 right in the mid-range. And it just seems to be that something nobody talks about. It's the fact that people don't talk about it. And it's taboo to talk about in med school. Things are so taboo to talk about in med school that we actually have doctorate level professors in my uh, in my program, which I won't name, that are saying pregnant people. And it's not something that you trip up and accidentally say. You don't accidentally say pregnant people. Now, these are doctors saying pregnant people when we know good and well that the only people that are able to get pregnant are women. So they dance around these terms and, and it. What reason me that one of these days they're going to give meds that are meant like we do it all the time. Now we're doing it to kids. We're giving kids estrogen when they're men and testosterone when they're women. And uh, the unforeseeable uh, side effects for that for the long term are unbeknownst. I'd imagine cancers that are bad uh, for those people that are using those, especially at a young age, I'm purely speculating. But I'd imagine that there's going to be a severe amount of cancer and, and, and suicide related deaths in those people too. So it just seems to be that there seems no ability to talk about things because it's taboo for some reason. I was going to chime in on that. And uh, you, you actually jumped right in with, with the point that I was going to make just from like a, a sociological perspective is that it just seems like it's an attack on empiricism. It's an, it's an attack on objective reality, because when you have an objective reality, you can use that as a weapon towards authority. You can say, hey, Mr. Politician or tyrant, oligarch, whomever, you're fucking wrong. And you can prove them wrong. But if nothing's right and nothing's wrong, you don't have that weapon anymore, at least at least to them. I mean, it really it, it still exists in, in, in reality. But if you have someone or something or a group, whatever, controlling or, you know, sort of manipulating um, and curating that reality, 
then and the CCP is the, the best example that we have on, on Earth right now of that. Um, when you just can't say what's true. And I, I fear and have feared for the past several years of my life uh, that that is something that we're slowly slipping into is our, our uh, great culture that has a, a, a liberal mindset whenever it comes to uh, science and information that we are gradually going to lose that into an orthodoxy that doesn't allow us to not only move forward, but actually we may slip backwards into just like craziness. Like when you see math, math and science, like Eric Weinstein has talked about this a lot, um, which is like just the attacks on science. And I know James Lindsay and other people like that and uh, Peter Pogosian and uh, there, there's a whole well, bunch of people. Well, Fauci is that. the science. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> all, all hail Lord, all hail Lord Fauci. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's just, well, I think I kind of disagree in the fact that you can't say anything because I could definitely say something. It's just that they would uh, do everything in their power to ruin my life. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like having, <laughs> having an actual platform or space or like being acknowledged, you know, like you can always say yeah. it, but you, you're saying it in a prison cell where nobody hears you, you know. Like you're, yeah, you're so, continuously hey, TJ, can I ask you a quick For question? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, based on what you were just talking about as far as the uh, doctors saying pregnant person. Um, did either of you guys see the Matt Walsh segment on the Dr. Phil show? With yes, all I the, did. He yes, I did. It. I loved it. You know, I loved it. Because it, it goes back to what you were just talking about, where what was just here's the, the utter insanity of all of it. And where it all, you know, culminates in the one really core issue is what, what was so ridiculous about that whole thing was not even the guy with the lipstick and the beard and the high heels. It was the fact that all of these people that are advocates could not define what a woman was or refuse to. And so when we talk about brainwashing, right, and adjusting people's psychology or perception of what is real, when you literally have people that are proponents of, I should be a woman if I want to be a woman. Okay, tell me what that means. Uh, because to me, that's it kind of sums the whole entire narrative up of how just ridiculous all of it is is when you have people saying pregnant person, right? I mean, a woman that has a, a breast removal that is acting as a man but gets pregnant is only capable of doing that because she's a woman. You know, and one of his points on there that was so good is he said, we can exca excavate a skeleton from tens of thousands of years ago. And based on, you know, bone mass and structure, we know that that is a woman. That's how I know it's a woman. So you tell me what a woman is. And it's just insanity. And, you know, the other problem is when it comes to people being in control of, of folks' health, right, in lives, when somebody's in the medical field, somebody's a doctor, somebody's a surgeon, that's a dangerous game to play. That's Russian roulette, right? Because if I go and now all of a sudden I'm a woman, and because of that, I never get a checkup to see if I have testicular cancer, well, I know I won't die from ovarian cancer, right? But because I identify as that, and when you have these people, uh, you know, in the medical field that are condone that type of behavior, it's fucking dangerous. I mean, it is genuinely dangerous. And that's one of the things that just, when I see that type of thing, like, do you not understand what the recourse is to, to this game that we're playing right now? It, genuinely, it's Russian roulette. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, it's, it's unavoidable at this point. I, that's why I'm trying to 
talk to as many people that I can on an individual basis and really get to them. And it really goes down to as simple as, you know, you go into the pharmacy, you don't feel well, you say, hey, uh, pharmacist, what, what can I get to make me feel better? They almost always give you a product and they never say, go home and drink water, set up a lawn chair in the sun and breathe some fresh air, relax for a day or two. They never say that. They always say, go home and take this med, this med, this med, and this med, and then you'll feel better in three or four. Well, and we've talked about it's big never, pharma so much. And, yeah. and it goes back to, you know, you, you made a comment earlier where you had referenced, you guys have probably seen the commercial, right? And we're one of two countries on the planet Earth where drug manufacturers can advertise drugs, Right. You see people running through the field, um, you know, they're they're smiling, the sun shining, everything is happening as they're, you know, it's visually they grab people. Right. This is going to make you happy and feel good while simultaneously they're ripping through the side effects going suicidal thoughts, um, <laughs> you know, uh, self-harm, yeah. uh, you know, violent diarrhea. Death. I mean, it's it's yeah, that's sudden and even sudden death. But people are still going gosh, I don't feel great. Uh, I am 400 pounds and I eat a fucking McDonald's every single day and I haven't exercised in 15 years, but it's not, it, that's not the result of it. I'm going to go take this happy, happy, happy drug where everybody is smiling. You know, in that part too, the ability for them to, um, you know, for them to advertise like that, it's just grotesque. And my mom worked for a, uh, a certain, a very specific type of doctor's group for a really long time, like 20 years and it was always funny because she would talk about lunch and these drug reps would come in and just spoil the whole entire staff. And it was a really large medical facility. So they would come in and every day spend thousands of dollars to basically establish that relationship and bribe these doctors, uh, even when they know that, hey, there's negative side effects. This can be really bad stuff. One of my favorite documentaries um, is it's called prescription thugs. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. Um, it, it, I, have I highly recommend it considering the field that you're in. Um, it is really, really, really fantastic. The bell brothers did it. Uh, they're two meathead power lifters that also, um, you know, they're also eat carnivore, uh, but bigger, stronger, faster was one on steroid use in sports. And then the other one is prescription thugs. And that really takes a massively deep dive into that whole entire thing. And just how wrong all of that is. It's coercion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just easy to manipulate humans at this point. I mean, they, they look at that commercial, they see somebody skipping through a field of flowers. Meanwhile, they're listening off 17 side effects. One of them being that you could just die at any given point. Um, but that, that, that kind of ties back to the thing that I was just talking about, how when you go to the pharmacy looking for a specific thing to help you feel better, let's say you got a, a pretty bad cold and you go in there and they'll say, oh, it takes some mucinex. My response is just drink more water because it does the same thing. Mucinex will thin your mucus. Drinking water will do the same thing. Go sit in the sun, get some vitamin D, get some fresh air and drink some water. Like you're a fat slob. That's it. That's, that's why you feel terrible. <laughs> you know, it's a mild cold. I hate to laugh, I, I but you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. You're I mean, spot and, it, on, and it goes back to that brainwashing because a lot of pharmacists think that they need to recommend a product. They, like but, too but many why people do they think in, that? in they pharmacy think that school because now, they're being compensated. Yeah. That's why. They want to make a living. I don't think it's entirely that, honestly. Well, with the doctors, because not even there's all the a big time piece are we being compensated. With, uh, the doctors are for sure, yeah. in, in some capacity. I think that that's been limited. Uh, but I, I think that the problem just really is institution, institutions like colleges. 
just absolutely throwing in the same information at you over and over and over. So like even me to this point, when I hear blood pressure, I think lisinopril. I think ACE inhibitor immediately because that's the first line therapy. You know, why don't I think eat less sodium and exercise? You know, it's, it's crazy to me that people just have this ingrained thing and it just happens in institutions and it may not even be happening on purpose in a lot of cases. I, I don't know how to stop it. What sounds like it's just the orthodoxy, you know, it's that, that thing that we were talking about where it's just all this is ingrained in our culture now where the, the conglomerate companies. And like, if you look into like the history of a lot of pharmaceutical companies, um, that post world war two, uh, all these companies come back or world war one, actually, uh, it's going back even further. Like, uh, these companies coming back from war where they have all these chemical patents, uh, to use in the, you know, sort of in the, in the, in the public space now, instead of in the war space. And then you're just getting into an area now where there's so many investor groups like BlackRock and Vanguard involved, and you have Goldman Sachs. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast where Goldman Sachs eventually just told, you know, its investors, like, be careful when you have like stuff that cures things. Cause you're not going to make a lot of money doing that. And they were actually talking about the MRNA vax, like the, not necessarily the vaccine technology, um, but it's an article from like 2018, but they were talking about the MRNA technology itself. Like, be careful what you're doing there with that companies, because if you end up finding some sort of miracle cure, you're going to go bankrupt. Yeah. I mean, why, why cure disease, especially the disease of confusion when you're the treatment facility? <laughs> it's, it is a Hegelian dialectic in a way. Yeah, they, they create yeah. these problems for us and then they perpetuate them, it seems. You know, they, fo they foment the reaction through the media that we imbibe and the influences in the medical community from our doctors and our pharmacists and whomever it might be. And those people may not be like guilty parties in that too. Like it doesn't always have to come back to malice, but- No, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I, I, have, I have the controversial opinion and, and even a lot of people that agree with me on many, many topics disagree with me on this. I think the internet is a net negative for, oh. for human. I mean, and it can massive, be. Massive net negative, massive. I think it was terrible. Yeah. And it's it's going to destroy, it's destroyed so many lives. I mean, it's, it's setting us up for genocide after genocide after genocide just by easily and, and, and more powerfully brainwashing people. It's, and that's an extreme, you know, to genocide. People never want to talk about genocide anymore as if it's not happening almost all over the world right now, especially in China. Yeah. It's, it's become an easier phenomenon to occur with the advent of the internet because of the funneling of information through Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. TikTok's uh, one of the most disgraceful things in the history of humankind. I think it's, I, I think that that's the sole reason that I, the IQ has dropped over time too. So one of the oh, yeah. points there, TJ, is you're absolutely right. One of the things that I find incredibly negative about that is um, it, it takes three seconds to find the amount of studies on uh, the reason the IQs are dropping is because there's no more need for information retention, right? So it's mental exercise, and these days, when somebody doesn't have to retain any type of information, they don't have to memorize anything because it's literally at the at the touch of your phone, right? You have an infinite resource of information. Uh, that's one of the biggest pieces of the, the drop in IQs for kids now because they don't really have to learn anything. They have way too much information at their fingertips. And 
TikTok is actually the most intrusive data mining social media platform that exists in the world right now. And do you guys remember when TikTok first came out that they were going to ban it because it was a Chinese app? Yeah. <laughs> and, and run by this, the, the Communist Party in China? I mean, it's crazy. Well, not just for that, but but for the fact that they were you know harvesting data and Lord knows what kind of data, and especially data on children even. And, and that's something that is a big no-no for the social platforms that, that exist now. You know, and um, one of the sad you know, things yeah. is it's just, you know, that it's uh, the internet is a platform for information manipulation, right? People oh, certainly, it, when you think about the fact that, you know, I'm six foot six, I weigh 300 pounds, I have a beard, I'm a very large man, right? Because of the internet, I can say I'm a woman. And even though people are literally looking at me and can stand five feet away from me, they go, oh, I'm so I'm so happy for you. You're so strong. You're a hero. Their eyes. Yeah, you could you could you could swing your cock and hit him in the face. That's a woman. Oh, she's so strong. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She's she's so brave. Oh man, it's it's just it's fucking crazy, man. But you know what's what's um when you talk about the dependency, right, and addiction, and the problem is we're so deep now into having that that infinite resource, and there's so many things that have been manipulated that now I'm dependent on it because I have to go to it to find that fringe information to see what's actually true, right, and and to be objective and go, oh, this doesn't make sense. And, you know, that's kind of the the sickness that I feel like it's created where everybody now has that dependency. It's no different than being a heroin addict. I have to go to that every single day. If I care about what's going on in the world and events that are taking place, I have to go to it. I don't have a fucking choice. Right. The only exception is if I move into the middle of the damn woods and just cut off from society and now I live the self-sustaining um, you know, subsistence living in the middle of nowhere, which I'm damn close to doing that right now. But that's the the sick part about it is it's, you know, I, I remember reading an article that 16 um, year olds, it was 86% less of teenagers that turned 16 um, in comparison to, I think it was 1995, get a driver's license their first year that they're 16 because they prefer communicating via text or through social media apps. So they have no need to have a vehicle because they don't want to actually go and hang out with friends. They don't really want to go be around people and and to socialize. So, I mean, it's literally destroying that sense of community, right? That is, that, that provides strength to groups of people and has for all of history, and it's just being completely yeah. eliminated. And our next step now is all we're hearing about is the fucking metaverse. So the next step. But yeah, I mean, forget <laughs> forget all that. I mean, the, the, the human race is going to be destroyed. We see that the birth birth rate is declining. It's because young men have no interest in women at all. It's the same they, in Japan, I, too. It's severe yeah. in Japan right now. Yeah. I mean, e- e- even even China is, has seen negative growth it's, i'm okay with that one tj just so you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i i'm definitely okay with that but uh, it's just that nobody ever wants to go and talk to somebody face to face or have a close relationship and people e- even i three or four years ago i was like yeah i don't really ever particularly care about having a family now i want to have like five kids six kids i don't even care like i want to have a nice little family and like teach them to grow and learn things that are important so that they can actually help sustain the human race as we progress 
down whatever beaten path we're currently stuck on. You literally just gave me an epiphany in my life. Gen- I genuinely mean that. Like you literally just turned yeah. a fucking light bulb on in my soul. And let me tell you why. Um, I have a three-year-old daughter. Okay. Uh, I love that child more than anything in the world, more than I ever thought that I'd be capable of loving anything in any minute. Imagine if you had five more. No, fuck, stop that. If my, if my wife listens to this, shit, <laughs> cut that out. Um, <laughs> so, um, but no, what, what you really just made me realize is like when I'm at work, I, I miss my daughter so severely. And you literally just enlightened me on like, it, it, not that I think I would miss her any less, but my only way to communicate with her is in person. That's it. To genuinely communicate with her. And it, you just made me realize like how, why every moment is so precious it, beyond the fact that she's my child. I created her. I brought her into the world. Right. But genuinely like that's, you, you literally just fucking turned a light bulb on in my head, man. Thank you for that. Now I did that. Yeah, that makes total sense as far as, you know, when you talk about having your family is because that's your, your unit. You, you're there with them. You're, you're not texting yet. Right. I mean, she's three. So thank God that I have a window before I have to worry about that. But it's, um, man, that just, it reminds me of how absolutely critical it is for that in-person communication and what that means to relationships and really well-being. Because I'll tell you this, my happiest in this world is just being with her. Even if I'm sitting next to her on a couch while she's playing a game on her iPad or we're watching, uh, you know, Encanto for the 50th time, right? Just being <laughs> in her presence, man. So thank you for that. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's becoming less and less and less of this in-person communication as we, as we progress too, because even I got a phone at a late age, I was like 14 or 15 uh, when all of my friends had it at like 12. And now you're seeing kids get phones at like five years old. It's, it's not good. And the biggest problem that I have is that these five years old, five-year-olds have just untapped access to information, whatever they want, including things like pornography. And that is absolutely destructive to the human psyche and the human race and relationships and the IQ. And a lot of people disagree with me on this. A lot of my friends who are uh, rather conservative actually disagree with me on this. Um, But it's, it's a difficult issue to parse out because a lot of people don't see it until you actually sit down and have that conversation with them where it can get a little heated I agree and with stuff you. like that. You know, I think you're a hundred percent spot is on. Destructive. You're a hundred percent spot yeah. on. And it's, and to me, it's, um, it's, it's pornography and it's violence, right? I mean, they talk about, you know, video games and what these kids are playing. Um, so I'm not much of a video game player. But a buddy of mine actually bought me an Xbox so we can play this car racing game because he liked building cars. And I was like, oh, shit, that's cool. Right. So I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll get another game besides the car game. And when I was doing research, uh, the number one rated game in the world for Xbox was Doom Eternal. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'll buy it. So I go and buy Doom Eternal. Okay. Uh, Within 10 minutes, I was like. This is the most fucked up thing for kids to be looking at in the world because it's so vivid and it's like such high definition and there's literally body parts hanging everywhere, corpses hanging upside down with pentagrams carved into their chests. And I was like, fuck, man, like I can't imagine a a 10 year old kid or an eight year old kid sitting there being absolutely inundated with just this horrific fucking gore. 
and and just this satanic theme. Like it was fucking gnarly, man. I'm like, get this the fuck out of my house. I don't even want this around me. So when you look at the combination of pornography, everything being sexualized, and then on top of that, you know, because, you know, to your point, when you have kids now saying, I'm actually a girl when they're 10 years old, I got news for you, man. When I was 10, like I was still really hoping I could have a fucking jetpack and fly around because it wasn't realistic. And, you know, <laughs> and I sure as hell wasn't going to sprout, you know, wings out of my ass and, um, you know, and be able to fly around the house. So with all of the sexualization of everything, kids can look at that and go, oh, I'm that. I want to do that. I like that role better. So I agree with you, man. I think you're spot on on that opinion. Yeah, it's great. I'm finally actually talking to people that agree with me. <laughs> well, and I'm that's the thing, too. Um, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Andrew Torba from Gab was on Timcast IRL this week. And that was one of the things that they brought up on the show is that Gab is a free speech platform, but it doesn't allow porn. And it's just one of the things where it's it, he explained that not only is it just like the spamming, like if you if we were having, uh, say, a discussion on Gab of, you know, and I, I, I after listening to the episode, I'm, I'm planning on starting up a Gab account. Uh, he really won me over. But it, it's just the thing where, you know, if we're having this kind of conversation or just, you know, when we post this on a bit shoot or Rumble or Odyssey later, and then all of a sudden in the comment section, um, it's just nothing but porn spam. It's just disruptive. But at the, but going back to the psychological impact of it, like the just when you have a relationship and you're trying to maintain a relationship with the opposite sex and you have a completely different um, idea of what that person is supposed to what they're, how they're supposed to serve you, um, uh, you know, what what that relationship does for you. And, and it could be sexually, but it, it could also be just in and just how you value them, too. Um, it, it's made a huge impact on my life, um, considering, uh, what, what impact, por- you know, pornography and imbibing pornography has had on me in, in, in my life and, and getting away from it has been tremendously help helpful for my mindset. Um, it's been great for my relationships. Um, and it's, it, I, I definitely think it's a valuable thing. So, and, you know, just on, on that topic too, like when we talk about, you know, what sort of what, what serves us, you know, with this thing on the internet, like when we have all this information available to us and it basically boils down to like sex and violence and just like the really primordial ooze of intellectual, you know, content out there. Um, Right now there is a war on the ability to even have these types of discussions about these things um, just recently and TJ, uh, just, uh, to kind of, uh, trans, you know, go into, uh, the new, uh, segment. Um, I, I sent you a, a video, uh, about Joe Rogan, uh, having what 250 originally doctors quote unquote, uh, put out a letter basically calling for him to be censored. And then now, uh, as a recent, uh, this tonight's Tim Cass IRL, now there apparently there's a thousand experts that are demanding him to be censored. Uh, yeah, so, Tim was talking about that. Yeah, so now we're in a place where you can't even have people on a show like yourself. And this is something that Joe Rogan does. He has somebody like Peter McCullough, somebody with a lot more expertise than he does on his show. He asks them open questions. They have an open conversation, honest conversation. And I mean, Peter McCullough could be wrong. 
you know, maybe he was wrong about natural immunity. Um, and I think you might have something to say about that too on the show. Cause I brought that up whenever John Henry and I talked about it, but just like when it comes down to, um, how this internet censorship affects the ability for people to, uh, just maintain like their, a healthy mindset or lifestyle or, uh, or even understand what's right or wrong or what's true or untrue. Like where, where do you think that we're headed just to kind of wrap up the free fall? Where do you think that we're headed with censorship in, in this, in this kind of era that we're in? I, I, I wish I had a good answer for that because I, I don't, uh, I think, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of Tim pool. He's probably my favorite, despite me being a rather conservative gentleman. I, I listen to Tim Pool religiously. He's the first thing that I listen to every morning. I listen to on Spotify. He puts out like an hour and 20 or so um, every day. And I usually wake up with the previous days one because he posted at like 8 p.m. So I wake up religiously, listen to Tim Pool. And uh, he always talks about it. Um, and so does Dan Bongino talk about a uh, peaceful divorce. Um, I think that that's where it's got to go in this country. Um, I don't see any other way. I, I mean, that's. It's it's an issue that's been in this country for forever. I mean, we could sit here and go back and forth and people could disagree with me all day long, but the Civil War was not particularly about slavery. That was about states' rights. Um, and, and that's kind of where we are now. Uh, and I think it's even less about states' rights because I still don't particularly trust the states. I, it should be about human rights. And there, the, the division seems to be, and censorship is, is promoting this, a division of human rights versus those that are siding with the authorities and the authority side is wrong and the human rights side is right. And there's, there's no, there's no taking the wedge out of that. That's where we're at right now. The fact that people are considering and definitely backing up the fact that we need to mandate irreversible medical treatments into people with little to no data relative to other treatments that we've had in the market. Uh, it's, it's a scary feeling. And, and I, my heart breaks for a lot of people out there that are on the side of human rights, but have been basically held at paycheck point to decide between a paycheck and an irreversible medical treatment. Is it, you know, is it feed my kids or is it take the irreversible medical treatment? I don't think that there's any mending a break like that. Wow. Yeah. That's something that we've talked about a lot on the show is, is just how the inherent human rights that we all have. Uh, we talked about it on, uh, the interview that I did with both Jane and Priya yesterday. Um, it just seems to be like a running theme amongst liberty minded and, you know, freedom, uh, loving people, freedom fighters, if you will, uh, it, it, that you know, we just all agree that it starts at the individual and then it goes, that's the ultimate form of localization. You really want to localize, you know, politics, you want to localize authority in your life. Um, you, you, you start with yourself and then you work outwards and you build a community and you work within that community. And then, you know, relying on a, a larger apparatus to deliver those things to you, to delegate to a machine that you have no idea of its workings or who's running it or you know, who's responsible for anything anymore. Um, it's just, it's, it's such a silly idea. The authoritarianism, it, it's just the central planning. And we talked about it in yesterday's interview too, that the central planning for all of this uh, with, from 
just the COVID response to things like the masking and the arbitrary rules, like with social distancing and things, but then also like ultimately with the vaccines now too, and just the the failing mandates is just, it just seems over and over again, we, we sit and watch central planning fail us and we just keep trying it over and over and over again. Well, um, and now, John and now Henry, you see, yeah. you know, some leaders wising up, right? So Boris Johnson announced that they, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of information come from the EU stating that the boosters uh, can actually compromise you ever being back to full uh, normal immunity in general. Forget about COVID, but just in general, that they're detrimental to children, that they're detrimental to people overall. So now you have Boris Johnson that they're eliminating all restrictions and all mandates done. Uh, the Irish Prime Minister, Michael Martin, as of tomorrow, they're eliminating almost every COVID restriction uh, that exists there. So when we wise up, right, the other piece of it. So let's talk about Judge Vincent Brown in Texas. I don't know if you guys saw this today. I'm sure you both probably did. Yes, I did. Um, but he I didn't. OK, yeah. so uh, Judge Vincent Brown in Texas, uh, he shot down any federal employee uh, vaccination mandate. That's done now, too. So to me, the positive out of that is we're starting to see some traction, right? You know, world leaders are starting to recognize and and state leaders are starting to recognize, hey, this shit doesn't work. This isn't okay. It isn't good for people. For Lord Fauci to come out and have the audacity to talk about, um, you know, when the people from the WHO and the CDC to have that discussion and the statement was made, I'm not sure which one of those fucking evil villains said it, but they said, when they when they lowered the quarantine period from 10 days to five days that we're not sure if that has a, a positive impact on people's mental health. Like, for fuck's sake, man, like you've the damage is done to what you've what you've accomplished. You know, you guys have have beaten everybody down, made them compliant mm-hmm. sheep in this world. But when you see it, you have, you know, old fucking pudding pants himself, which uh, I love that one of the reporters called him out on his mental fitness also today, which was great. Is written when anyone yeah, talks about send me that, John uh, Henry. It's beautiful. <laughs> most people question your mental fitness respectfully, sir. Uh, why do you feel that is? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's yeah. fucking believable, man. Was and he smelling his finger when he answered things. the question? <laughs> was he like, <laughs> no, he's like, kid to sniff? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to build on that point, though, you say that you said uh, a phrase, the damage is done. I don't know if you guys saw the, um, there was like a, a, I don't know, I don't want to say little, like 12 to 16 year old girl, I, I don't know her exact age, was on a, a panel on like news in Britain. And she was saying like, we could end the mandates and the lockdowns right now, but the damage is done. She started crying. She was like, nobody ever cared about the kids. And, and oh my, I didn't see that. She's Whoa. right. No, she, she broke down crying. She said, we could end these lockdowns right now, but the damage is done. And, and it breaks my freaking heart to, the kids, I, I can't even talk about it. I'll get too worked up. I, I, you watch suicide rates go through the roof. You watch yeah. opioid overdoses. Child abuse, break, molestation. Break, break through the ceiling. Yeah. I mean, the number one cause of death now for 18 to 49-year-olds is, is opioids. It's it's not even a comparison. And we're still talking about COVID. And I still have to wear a mask everywhere I go. As if that has any stature of scientific evidence to back it yeah in the um you know rogan has talked a lot about the opioid deaths from having malone on there and dr mccullough and um you know just some really great people from the medical field that are, are on the right side in my opinion you know when you you think about that piece that you saw and how that made you feel 
Well, I saw one today myself because France is getting ready to where you have, okay, Boris Johnson, you have the prime minister of Ireland saying this shit doesn't work. It's over. Well, France is quadrupling down. So they're getting the ready to roll out full vaccine passport where you can't go to work and you can't go to the fucking supermarket to do that. And I was watching an interview with a panel of French kids and there were subtitles on it. And they were asking the kids about being vaccinated. Do they think people should be unvaccinated? And they're, they're, these, they're probably 10, 10 year old kids. And they're like, yeah, we have our first shot. We have our first shot. And they're like, what do you think that people what should happen to people that don't have the vaccination? Um, and, and this little girl responds with, they should be locked in somewhere and have everything taken away from them. And these adults that are interviewing them are applauding. Like it, it, to me, it was like well, a yeah. fucking snuff film. It's the Hitler youth. That's yeah. exactly what that I is. I did see that. I did see that. I thought it was in Canada, like a French province of Canada, maybe. But I, yeah, I, they're all French. Uh, they're all fucking annoying. It was Québécois. yeah. It was definitely a French speaking <laughs> thing. I remember because it was on. It was on Michael Knowles' show, I think. Um, yeah, not good. Yeah, it's not, not today. good. And, and like, the crazy Whoa. thing is, nobody nobody gets held liable for all this. I mean, um, for the notes that I have on the show, it, if you want, I can start talking about the the community thing. I was going to say, it's, give me two seconds, because I did find uh, an article I'm going to attach to this week's source list, because I'm glad you brought it up, TJ, because I'm going to send this to uh, Jane and Priya from yesterday as well. Um, it's entitled, The Government Ruined Our Lives, British Student Blasts COVID Abuse by Katie Pavlik. Yep. Um, and one yep, of the quotes the here, it says, we will trust the judgment of the British people and no longer criminalize those who choose not to wear a mask, Johnson said, um, going down. But yeah, here's her quote. The damage that they have done to my generation has been unbelievable. Um, she says, I literally watched my future crumble in front of my eyes. It makes me so angry. They literally ruined our lives and nobody spoke about it at all. The commentators, they had union reps come on and say, this is what the schools should do. And they didn't care about what this did to us. This is the first time I've spoken about it on TV because I knew that I'd cry about it, but I literally watched and felt like my entire life was falling apart because of what this government did to young people and nobody cares. Not one person has cared about children in this pandemic. Wow. Her yeah, name is Sophie Cochran. Yeah. Cor Corcoran. That's a tough one. Yeah. Sophie Corcoran. Yeah. That's, that's the girl's name. Bravo. Yeah, and Sophie. She did. She did. Wow. Cry. Wow. It's a that's disgusting powerful, issue. Man. It is disgusting, but I just, I, I love to see people being able to go on TV and, and be able to say that, to be able to bear their soul like that and, and to show yeah, people the I scars mean, that this has created on their, on their soul. For sure. For sure. I, I, I don't take it on anybody to, to break down right now. They've ruined, I've broken down. I've, I've cried. I've screamed. I've yelled. I have been pegged as the crazy person. They're getting to us. They're getting to me. You know, I'm depressed as, as all hell because of this. They make me wear a mask. They make me fight for my rights. I, 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 it's, it's, it's not just me. I, I, since I'm the loud person, so I put stuff on my Snapchat story every day and people are like, oh, you're too political. And I'm like, nope, no, you're, you're not political enough. They're literally trying to inject you with an experimental, irreversible medical treatment. And you're calling me the crazy person. Shut up. Let me talk. And you're going down on the wrong side of history, because if I go down, you're going down with me. And all these people that see my stories and stuff, 
a lot of people will swipe up and say, oh, this kid's crazy. And a lot of people, which I never say anything about, will swipe up and say, please friggin' help me. Yeah. And it breaks my goddamn heart. And I don't mean to use the Lord's name in vain there. It breaks my friggin' heart. Yeah. These people are asking for help and I don't have any help to offer them because if I help, then I just like, if I'm out of the equation, then they don't have a voice anymore because I'm the only one that like, I don't mean to say this, like, I just don't have any other proper way to say it. I'm the only one that has any nuts to say anything in the pharmacy school that I go to. And a lot of people just live vicariously through me because they seem to think that there's some issue. And I say, listen, if you guys would just stand up with me, this would be over. But they know they're scared. And I don't blame them for being scared because the punishment is you walk away with $100,000 worth of debt and you don't get to finish your degree. So, I mean, it's, it's a tough situation and I don't even, you know, they're breaking everybody down one by one and that's what their plan was and, and they're getting to us. But I, I think that we're stronger than them and we're smarter than them. So. And that's well, why you're so I, important. Yeah. I mean, you're so important because when you say that you're, you're it, well, what if you weren't, what if you were just like, fuck it, it's not worth it. It's not worth that's what it. I've tried to say, you know, but you can't. You know, not something. John that we Henry, talk what about do you always well. say? What's the quote that you always tell tell us? <laughs> if it's not you, who, if it's not now, when? That's the fucking Absolutely. quote, right? And that's what I've said a billion times because I was uh, I had a really bad breakdown the other night, and uh, my friend's father came in to talk to me, and we got into it a little bit, and he actually works on his own; he's a, a contractor. And I said, you know, imagine imagine being forced in an ir- uh, irreversible medical treatment. And uh, you have to wear a mask or you can't go to work tomorrow. He's like, oh, when you put it like that, it makes a lot more sense. And I said, yeah, when they ask you to get in the train car, it's too late because your options are get in the train car or they kill you. That's it. Yeah. It, if it's, you know, if, if not now, when? And one of the because things I the talk train about car comes, it's too late. It is, and you're 100% right, you know, and it's it's gradual. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that we talk about a lot is the importance of being that voice and really um, learning how to communicate it, Right. Where, how did, you know, how does TJ communicate it without being the fucking crazy kid, right? And and sometimes what I find is it's better to take a more passive approach. Um, you know, always start off with, I'm, I'm totally respectful of your decision. Man, that's what I'm all about. You know, to me, when it comes to freedom is you have the right to do whatever you feel is best for you and your family as long as you don't harm others. Now, I'm obviously not referencing the government and all the mandates and the bullshit, but just on an individual level. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about so much on the show is the importance of being that voice and how for me, like at work, um, I I hold a a relatively high position in my career, right? People aren't political in my role. You you can't be. There's a massive liability that comes with it. And um, for me, I find it's just a lot more a casual comment that's not argumentative or aggressive or judgmental. It's like fishing. You're throwing bait out there. And the amount of people now that have come to me and go, hey, man, this is really fucked up with this mask thing. And, you know, because here in the state of Hawaii, um, what they just rolled out is so we're super restricted out here. Right. You to fly in, you either have to have a negative COVID test within 72 hours uh, or you have to be two weeks after your last shot to be able to get in with a vax card. You can't go to restaurants, you can't go to museums, you can't go to the movies unless you have those things also. So we're really, really, really fucking restricted out here. Uh, it's pretty gnarly. Like we're probably the most restricted in the country right now. And um, and just making kind of a casual comment about it that people, and you can see that they're so eager to go, just say it. 
because they think it too, but they don't want to look like the crazy anti-vax person. Or maybe they're just not a very political person in general, and they feel like that those two things always accompany one another, so they don't want to say it. And to see the sense of relief on people when they come in and go, yeah, man, you know, I'm just really frustrated I can't go to the gym, you know, because how the hell am I going to stay fit if I can't go to the gym because I don't want to get the vaccine? And, um, and I'm like, yeah, fuck that. And then next thing you know, you watch this person fucking open up and blossom into a different version of themselves. Like, and I tell you what, the other thing, and it's comforting because that's really what establishes that sense of community, which is what we need more than anything. So what they just enacted here is, so those are the parameters to basically exist as a free human, alleged free human here. Okay. Um, now what they just enacted is now you're not vaccinated unless you also have your boosters done on the schedule recommended by the big pharma companies. So everybody here, coming. everybody here that's had two shots and they're five months out from their second shot, bro, they're not vaccinated anymore. Their vaccination cards to go to restaurants and the gym and the movies is fucking done. So yeah, all Dave of Rubin sudden, got kicked off of the internet for that, for saying that in July. And exactly. Now it's, it's so it's, it's, I mean, it is fucking insane, you know, and now like I made a joke to a couple guys and, and these guys are my friends at work and they know that I'm not, I'm not in, in any way, shape or form pro vaccine uh, in this sense anyway, with all this bullshit, with the experimental drugs they're putting in people, you know, and these guys are the ones who are like, man, I know, like, I didn't really want to do it, but you know, I just wanted to be able to go out and eat with my girl and the other one is, well, you know, I'm, I'm single, man. I need to be able to go out and get into the bar and be able to find some chicks, right? And now they're in there like, what the fuck? And I go, welcome to the pure bloods, motherfucker. Welcome to the gang. Don't you guys understand yeah. that there's no such thing as vaxxed enough? There's no such thing as boosted enough? Don't you get this shit yet? So now you start to see people that are not even in agreement with me from the start going, fuck that. So one of my good friends at work, he's like, bro, I'm not fucking getting another shot. I got super sick after having two of them, you know, and another one of my guys that works for me, TJ, we've talked about this a lot. So he goes in, gets his first shot, has a fucking stroke that night and is in ICU for two and a half weeks. And he's out of work for two and a half months, has tremors, loses function in the, in the side of his body. So finally, after two and a half months, he comes back to work and he has he uh, he gets the shakes. His hands are shaking. Right. He gets lightheaded. Well, he's out last week. And I'm like, hey, where the fuck is he at? Like, I make a joke about it. Like, what, is this fucking guy on vacation again or what? And they're like, no, he had a heart attack. Now, this yeah. guy's in his 30s, man. I go, what? They go, yeah, he had a heart attack. You know, he's had a lot of issues after that thing where he was in the ICU. So now the rest of the guys there that are frustrated because now they're not vaxxed enough. They're like, by the way, what the fuck did I do any of this for? So I could have a window to be able to go do that. This is shitty, man. It's fucking wild. I think yeah. that's a perfect segue uh, into our into tonight's topic. So TJ, I just want to give you the floor on that, and then I think you can just roll right into the myocarditis and everything else that you looked up for us this week. Sure, sure. I'm just going to start really quick with one thing that a lot of people probably just don't even know about. So I have an FDA press release from August 23rd of 2021, which was now updated on January 1st of 2020. 2022. I don't even know how to say that. Um, but this indicated the community was approved to prevent COVID-19 infection, which we obviously know now not to be true. So then they've, they've changed the language, they've parsed it out, and now it's to lessen your chance of getting severely ill, hospitalized, or death. 
Community is approved for ages 16 and up for the prevention of COVID-19 infection. Again, not true. Um, but ages five and up are eligible for the two-dose series of the emergency use, use authorization of the Pfizer vaccine. But seemingly based on the verbiage of this release, they're not eligible for the use of community since it says that community is approved for ages 16 and up. So the main problem with that is TJ, that community can I ask is a, a question? Because I did yeah. I, so, and, I, and I'm going to try to not interject too much. I'll try not to, but yeah, I probably will, ahead. and I apologize. So yeah, what you're fine. saying is, so when they started touting that now this vaccine is FDA approved, that that was proved as a prophylactic? Yeah, uh, basically. Um, as a vaccine, um, vaccines kind of uh, weigh in on the word prophylactic themselves. Okay. Uh, but this one's a little bit different, and it's hard to really get it out there because it uses drug delivery technology like lipid Lipid, uh, so basically the, the mRNA is inside of a little lipid, yeah. yeah, lipid nanoparticle. Thank you, I couldn't find the word. The mRNA is inside of a lipid nanoparticle and delivers it to the site. And then the mRNA basically is just inside the cell. And it doesn't, based on what they say, doesn't part itself into your DNA, but it just sits in the cell and it does get coded for. And then it just produces spike protein. And then your body creates antibodies to spike protein. So, I mean, I guess it, I, I've always thought of it as a drug myself because it uses drug delivery technology and not a vaccine. So it's hard to say. It was originally marketed as a, thera a therapeutic to begin with, right? Gene therapy it was the title for it. Have you watched Tal Zaks, uh, who, who was part yeah, of Moderna and everything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's how, that's anybody who, who says it's it not gene, yeah, anybody who says it's not gene therapies, I don't even know where it, 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 it says it's that on the patents, but I mean, the, the main problem that I have with the entire thing is that when they said it was fully FDA approved, that wasn't actually a true statement because there's nope. there's a problem with with licensing in the United States. And the way that it works is you can think about things like small molecule drugs, just something you would take by mouth, like an antibiotic or something or or a blood pressure medication. Those have generics and those are therapeutically equivalent, 100 percent the same thing. I can switch between them. I can give you. The, the brand and I can give you the generic and it's the same exact thing, but with biologic products like this vaccine, like insulin, like those GLP one agonists I was talking about, like Ozempic and Trulicity. Mm -hmm. When generics air quotes come out around those, those are actually called biosimilars because based on manufacturing properties and processes, they cannot be the same because it's, you're working on something so fine like MRNA or proteins, which can change from the environment. Something as simple as moisture in the air or temperature or the speed at which you process it. So there's absolutely no way. And a good example of this is an insulin product called insulin glargine, which is long-acting insulin, which has three major branded products called Semgly, Vasoglar, and Lantus. Now, they all do roughly the same thing. And it's so close to the same thing that I, I misuse the word roughly. They all do the same thing. I feel good injecting a patient who has used Vasoglar with Zengli and getting the same result. That being said, I legally cannot switch between them. If the script says Zengli and I dispense Vasoglar, I have committed a crime. And that's because of that law, that, that biologics are not the same. There is no generics for biologics. And this vaccine is a biologic. Hey, TJ, um, one quick yeah. question. What is the time frame before a drug? Uh, is it, does it lose its patent? 
before they can produce generic versions of it? Is about it- 20 years from when the patent is formed. And generally they, they put out the patent somewhere during the research phase. Somewhere like usually when a drug hits market, it has probably seven to eight years left on a patent. Um, so they get seven to eight years to sell it. But a lot of these pharmaceutical companies, what they do to make more money is they use uh, orphan drug clauses. So they'll they'll use a drug that um, that'll get it like three or three or five years more on an extension of the patent um, because they'll say, oh, this drug can also be used for uh, insert rare disease here. And then they'll just get to use that drug as a brand name with no generic competition for another five years. And they're very good at that. So they end up getting like 25 years of patent life. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So the problem with that, like I just explained with all these insulin products is that they're not the same. And so that, that actually ties directly in back to the vaccine of the Pfizer EUA vaccine, not being the same as the community vaccine. That being said, I don't believe that there's this grand conspiracy to, to say that, community and, and Pfizer EUA vaccine have completely different subsets of, of what's inside of it. But it leaves a lot of wiggle room for them to do something like that. The main reason that they're doing something like this is liability. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into that for a second, but oh, I needed do. to touch on this. I needed to touch on this because I accidentally bumped into this. Um, I ran into a blog called Gear Pandemic where the writer had seemingly absolutely no idea of what the actual law of medicinal practice is. So the person goes on about how the Pfizer EUA uh, BNT162B2 vaccine is the exact same thing as community, which is not even verifiable for one, because uh, I've never seen a community vial in my life. And I have vaccinated over 10,000 people myself. I don't feel good about that. And I'll get into that later. Um, But I have to, to make a paycheck (laughs) and live. Um, no, but we get it. he basically says that the Pfizer EUA is the exact same thing as community. And, uh, I've traveled all over New York state to different pharmacies. I've never seen a community vial and it's simply because it's not used in the United States. The biologic licensing in the United States is a simple law. And, and it's because not all bi- biological products are equivalent. They, they might produce the same therapeutic outcome, but they're not equivalent. So they're listed as biosimilar. So this, this guy in this dear pandemic blog just goes on and on and on about how like it's, it's a generic and he uses the word generic, which is not true. And then he goes on to talk about like fact checkers and stuff. So he says, uh, and I have it highlighted here. He says, and I quote, next time you have a question, like I heard the latest insert social media rumor here. Is that true? You can simply Google the gist of the rumor followed by the words, fact check. This will almost always result in a well-researched and linked article from the AP, USA Today, or another major news outlet doing professional fact checking. Example, type Pfizer's FDA approved vaccine is not available in the US fact check. Are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah, that is actually from Malia Jones. Uh, that's from a PhD. <laughs> a PhD wrote using, that statement. They're using the AP and USA Today. Uh, yeah, which, which we now, um, ruled in court. Those were uh, fact checkers and now, uh, opinion checkers. So my main problem with all this is that everybody seems to blindly follow like authoritative sources like that. And I'm actually misused authoritative there authority sources like the CDC. Uh, I like that. Yeah. When you bring up issues like myocarditis, you seemingly have to spend hours to find any sources that support either side of the claim. Yeah, like sorry about making C- you do that. <laughs> yeah, but well, a lot of these people just see the CDC press releases and then take it for faith. The problem is that 
the CDC does not even put their own sources on their, their press releases. Like you go to the CDC website and you're trying to find, they can say like, here's, here's what we think about masks. For example, uh, I have to click 800 different, like, you know how you like highlight little words to like hyperlink to a new page. They have yeah. that all over. I oh, click man. every single hyperlink on their Here's what we say about masks thing. And I went through each one of those things and clicked every hyperlink. And it is a loop that brings you back through each of one of those like little things that says, here's why you should wear a mask. And here's how you wear a mask. Circular logic. Yeah. I wear masks. Is, mask is good. Why is it good? Cause masks are good. <laughs> is, is there a single study in all of those hyperlinks to support the use of masks? Absolutely not. But do nope. I have a clinical trial from 2019 pre pandemic? called the respiratory it's the r-e-s-p-c-e-t trial the respect trial that shows that yeah. even the kn95s do not work um so uh, wow. I, I, wow the problem bernie with this sanders is, is gonna be pissed hearing that yeah yeah <laughs> and so does joe because joe didn't know what didn't joe just order us all 400 million 400 million masks that are just gonna 400, be yeah 400 just, million billion million yeah <laughs> just clogging up the waterways, you know, by just the way, yeah. laying if you on guys the beaches. Have seen any of the pictures of those masks online, they come with the uh, tag in them. That's in From Chinese. China. <laughs> China. Excuse me, Alfred. China. <laughs> He's like, hey, Xi Jinping, he does let folks. me get 400 million. <laughs> so crazy. <Yeah. laughs> I love it. But the problem with all this is that the sources for the CDC are almost always the CDC. So like the CDC fact checks the CDC. It's like the FBI investigating the FBI and the FBI finding that the FBI did nothing wrong. So I spent like three hours alongside my girlfriend. So three hours each. And we were using different sources. She was using Google, Firefox. I was using DuckDuckGo, PubMed um, to find like the evidence about the safety and efficacy of the mix and match vaccines. You remember in like October or so when they oh, said yeah. that you could just, you could just, whatever, fuck it. You can just use whatever one you want now. Exactly. You know, you know what, you know what evidence we came up with? Not a fucking thing, dude. Nothing. There was nothing. So, like, even, Shocked, even, right? <laughs> even so let's, let's say the evidence exists. Let's say it's real. Why is it so hard to find? I mean, like, why is it so hard to find? The CDC should be giving me that evidence for me to look at as an individual citizen and say, yes, I agree with that. Or no, here's the problem with that. So the only study I actually came up with was one study that showed uh, a J&J &J vaccine followed by an mRNA-based vaccine would actually offer the best protection. And the reason is, is because the J&J &J vaccine actually confers T-cell immunity, which is actually the kind of immunity that we want for resistance to infection. And the mRNA vaccines confer B-cell immunity, which is known as antibodies. So that brings me to my, my natural immunity thing. Too many people, and I get, I get really griped about uh, people on my side, they're like, yeah, natural immunity. I've got natural immunity. I'm like, one, who fucking cares? Like, you shouldn't have to prove anything to live. True. Um, but secondly, uh, B, B cells uh, are the memory immunity in your antibodies. They're good to have so they can recognize the pathogen that, that came in before so they can attach to it, then recruit the T cells. So it it's far more important that your T cells are on top notch. So T cells are the cells that actually take care of the pathogen and kill it. So if I have a hundred percent B cell population, but my, my T cells are low, my body will basically say, Hey, I recognize that pathogen. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I recognize it. And if I have the flip side, a high T cell count, but no B cells, this is more common, uh, basically because 
you know, COVID's novel and a lot of people had never had it. You know, let's say you've never had the flu once in your life and you're healthy overall, you'll have a high T cell count, which aren't specific to anything. They just kill pathogens, but you have no B cells because you've never encountered the pathogen. Then you have a short illness that's rather mild, depending on the pathogen. Now, the flu can be pretty, pretty gruesome. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever had the flu, but it beat you up pretty good. Oh, yeah. And I had flu A a couple of years ago. It kicked my ass, man. I, yeah, I was wheezing. It oh, it was bad. Oh, yeah. It's pretty bad. But, you know, I'd rather have a high T cell count and absolutely no B cells than a high B cell count and minimal T cells. So a good example of that is uh, vac- vaccinated HIV patients. They have very low T cell counts uh, because HIV basically is is a virus that attacks T cells. And so yes. they fare much worse, even with an mRNA vaccine, simply because they have no T cells. Whoa, to clear whoa, the infection. Hold on. Hold, I'm fact checking you. Don't you know Dr. Fauci cured HIV with AZT? Oh, back, yeah. in, back in the glory days fact when check. he said you can get it from surfaces. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just casual contact with somebody could give you it. Right. Yeah. yeah if, you, if you live with them. Yeah. You, but. But I could read studies all day long, up and down, forward, backward. I don't trust publications that much anymore anyway. So, and, and the, the reason for that is like a good example is uh, cost effectiveness studies are what's most commonly used for these kind of things. You know, that's, that's what helps us determine if a drug is good and useful. Um, basically, we call uh, life years and quality adjusted life years. So basically, we want to know how much does it cost to extend somebody's life one full year and then Another calculation, how much does it cost to extend somebody's life a year if we adjust it for quality? And obviously, quality adjusted life years are going to be fewer than just overall life years because there's a calculation based on the disease state to say that, hey, this person that has heart failure, uh, you know, they could live an extra five years, but maybe it's only like 3.5 years if you adjust it for quality. Um, 86% of these cost effectiveness studies are done by the pharmaceutical industry. And the other 14% are done by third-party sources that are often paid for by the same pharmaceutical companies. It just doesn't get pegged as a, as a pharmaceutical study because they paid somebody else to do it. Brought to you by the, Pfizer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, exactly. Can I, um, there was one article I wanted to bring up today, and I think this is the time to do it based on what we're, we're discussing right now. And I just yeah. want to kind of get your, your thoughts on it here um, because it's, it's, it's pretty horrific. So in Minnesota... Um, you have a gentleman that has COVID, uh, they put him on a ventilator and they make a determination that they're going to take him off the ventilator and let him die on February 13th. Uh, his wife, his name is Ann Quinner. She has to get an attorney. She has to fight the hospital to get him one, uh, to continue to be on the ventilator, but to move him to a different facility. And I want to read what, uh, what a doctor said here. Uh, at the hospital. Unfortunately, if we could turn back time and he had gotten the vaccine, then he wouldn't be here. Dr. Linda Susie says at Mercy Hospital in Minnesota. Uh, After three years, I think we've gotten pretty good at determining who's going to make it and who's not. And unfortunately, Scott, who's her husband, is in that range of the group that are just not going to make it. Uh, That is fucking Joseph Mengele eugenics, if I have ever heard it. Uh, I yeah, mean, fuck I, you, Dr. Linda. <laughs> I could My not God. fucking believe when I read that. So she gets legal counsel. She gets an attorney. Her name is Marjorie Holston. They file for a motion to get a temporary restraining order to not fucking kill her husband. And it, it's just insane. So they sided um, with the attorney. So they send the guy to a hospital in Texas. 
And subsequently, the guy ends up living, right? Uh, That quote from the doctor at that hospital, I mean, it just fucking sickened me. It really did. And um, so let's see here. Sending some. So Stu Peters, a podcaster, she goes on his show and it says, if you don't get social media involved in this and make it viral, they're going to kill your husband and you won't have any say at all. Um, just utter disbelief for that doctor to casually and flippantly just say, we've made a determination that he's not going to make it because we figured it out after three years. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and let him die. So I just want to so, share that article today. So let me ask you something. How often do you think that something like that happens in a medical setting? Pre or post pandemic or during? Both. Well, uh, I think that it happens. Uh, I would say that it has grown exponentially. Um, I would agree with that. And the reason for that is I specifically remember reading articles um, about in New York that there was a statewide order that if somebody's oxygen level dropped below a certain percentage, uh, that they were going to pull the plug and let them die. And one of the other things in this article is they talked about, so on January 15th, Scott was transferred to an undisclosed uh, hospital in Texas uh, where the doctors reported that Scott was malnourished and dehydrated. Uh, One doctor said he didn't know how Scott made it out alive. Uh, He looked at the chart and said, I can't believe these heavy sedating drugs that they put him on. And we've talked about the ventilators before um, because it's on average, uh, from what I understand, six to seven different drugs, muscle relaxers, sedatives, so that people don't pull the tube out. So, um, you know, I understand that that type of thing did happen. I I don't know uh, a percentile or how much or how many, you know, per year. And I don't know. I'm ignorant to that. But I mean, based on what we've seen now and all the understanding of those drug cocktails, how they, you know, the impact that they had on people on the ventilation systems. uh, I I mean, I would say that it has raised a couple hundred percent throughout the pandemic than it had before. Yeah, I think I I should send TJ's question to you, too, a little bit, because I think that uh, this is something uh, in him bringing up is that this is something that's always been around um, that. That the medical industry has sort of hidden from the public, but now that we, we just have all this stimuli in our face all the time about these types of topics, that we're finally starting to realize it, that, that we're dealing with, we've been dealing with death panels for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and he hit it, you know, uh, right on the head there. It's, it's grown exponentially. And that's the problem. And there's reasons for that. There was uh, financial incentives for admitting somebody for COVID, ventilating somebody for COVID, marking somebody as dead from COVID. Then you have these nurses and doctors that are high strung early on in the pandemic that want to basically bolster their job and say, I'm a frontline worker. And uh, I had 200 people die in, in my ICU today. So I was just down in Florida not too long ago and I was talking with somebody and she was like, oh, I'm a nurse. And she asked me, you know, are you vaccinated? And and I didn't really tell her, but she was like, oh, you really should if you're not. And I was like, well, that's none of your business because I don't tell people my my medical history or status because I shouldn't have to. And I was like, regardless, I'm a healthy 24 year old. Well, I'm a cross country um, runner. HIPAA laws that say that we don't have to and people don't have the right to inquire. Those are those are. I don't know if those are tiptoe laws, I guess those are very nuanced laws. 
Because for uh, me, I, yeah. like to ask somebody about their medical history to get into a restaurant or go to a movie, uh, I just don't see how that is legal. And now I could be wrong. Again, you know, if, if you can correct me, please do. Um, you know, because I want to be. I'm not sure that I it. can. Okay. I'm not sure that I can on that issue because. Because uh, I mean, I just, here's my question, TJ. Um, can I open up a bar and everybody that comes to the front? Can I ask them whether or not they have HIV? Can I ask them uh, if they take Viagra? Can I ask them if they take statins for cholesterol and say, oh, based you, on that, we sell a lot of cheeseburgers here. You're not allowed in. You can ask them. They can deny and you can't based on disability act can't deny them. So it's it's that's like a, a double dual law preface thing over the vaccine. I think that they're using emergency powers to forego these laws right now. Um, but. I don't really see an emergency anymore. So I don't really know on that just because it's a political debate and not an actual policy debate. <laughs> I think, yeah, um, you were right, TJ, there by saying, I don't think it's HIPAA necessarily. It's, it has more to do with like the American is uh, Americans with disabilities act. Uh, that yeah. prevents a lot of that stuff. But my, my method is, if somebody asks you know, if, if I'm vaccinated or not, I just tell them I'm circumcised. I just pretend like I misheard the question and that that's my statement. I just asked them if they've ever had STDs. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But basically I was down there. She asked me all that and she was, I was telling her, I was like, I'm 24. I'm a cross country runner. I'm healthy. I ran like a sub 420 mile. Like I am the, like I'm the epitome of health. Like I, I'm not going to die from COVID lady. She was like, well, we just body bagged a 20 year old, a 27 year old and a 35 year old. Like I, I didn't say anything back because I was working with my friend's father who was on a job site and it was like, she could just kick us off and he would have lost money. So I didn't, What I wanted to say was first, no, you didn't. And second, I wanted to say, okay, how big were the body bags? If you really did. Yeah. <laughs> like body bag clout. People, they're like, yeah, I got like 10 yeah. body bags filled yeah. with young people. Which and got? these nurses, <laughs> the, the nurses don't want this to end a lot of them because like, they feel, they feel like it bolsters their popularity. They're like, oh yeah, I was a nurse in the pandemic. And I'm like, nobody fucking cares, lady. Like I oh, was, yeah, it's their moment. No, uh, nobody wants their I, moment spoiled. Yeah. Like I don't give a shit. You but, know, who gets, here's who gets credibility from me that I was a nurse in the pandemic, refused to get the vaccination and they fired me. That's a fucking hero. You know, that's somebody to me is somebody that really stood their ground um, and again, you know, I believe that everybody has the, you know, the, the choice to make, uh, and that's up to them to make that choice. But ones that said, well, my choice was to not do that. And they wouldn't fold under that pressure. I mean, that's, that's the nurses that I give credit to, you know, and which is insane because now we're in a situation where literally, uh, symptomatic COVID positive vaccinated doctors and nurses are able to work in hospitals Yet they fired completely healthy, unvaccinated medical staff. The the hypocrisy yeah. is unfucking believable. Yeah, and since the the healthcare mandate stood up uh, for you know the country, and I don't know what's going to happen with that as we move forward. But um, I know I work with people who are um, you know kind of afraid to say things, but uh, I have every ability to to get around these mandates because I know the laws, I know how to get around these things, but I'm going to get fired with these people just, you know, just to be with them. But uh, anyway, I'm going to go back into these, uh, these topics here. Yes, please do. If you yeah. don't mind. Yeah, but basically, back, uh, back, 
back to these cost effectiveness studies. So pharma does all of them. Um, and as, as much as I hate the government, the government's not allowed to perform the cost effectiveness studies, which is, which is bad. You know, despite my hate for the government, that's bad. Um, cause now you're monopolizing studies. The government doesn't even use these cost effectiveness studies for their drug formularies in Medicare and Medicaid anyway. Um, which is, which is good because obviously they probably lie on these. And so the reason I speculate is that they know that the pharmaceutical industry is not being completely truthful and they're stretching these truths. Um, they're stretching them by lies by omission. So they can omit information that's detrimental to their case. So I'll preface this by saying that a cost effectiveness study is, is usually like, yes, that's good because it gives you the, the cost and the effectiveness of the drug. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but it's really bad when you have the people who are trying to make money off of the drugs are the only people doing those studies. That's really bad. So the reason that's I a conflict really of interest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We don't even conflict of interest. You know, you got people um, that are sitting on the FDA and NIH boards that also have massive financial investments in companies like Gilead, which was the producer of the drug remdesivir, but I'll talk about that in like five minutes or so. Okay. But the reason I don't trust the peer review is, to put it bluntly, is because the process is shitty. Too many people rely on a peer review process to get a quality research, but in all reality, peer review process is just not stable. It's basically a group of people that are a part of a publishing journal that read the study and make sure that the data presented makes sense. It's not misleading to what they have put in front of them and is true. The major problem is that not all the data is, is presented in these cases. So let's say I conduct a study with 100 people and one of them has an outcome that I didn't like. Um, let's say that they had a heart attack or something when in the drug in the in the trial that I did. Um, I can easily just pretend that that person never existed, ex exclude them from the data and call it a day. And so a famous example of that, and a lot of people probably know about this one now because I'm pretty sure Robert Malone talked about it on the Rogan podcast, was uh, Merck and a drug called Viox. And that was uh, on market from 1999 to 2004. So Viox is uh, it's a COX-2 inhibitor. It's, it's similar to Celebrex. It's used just generally for pain. It's, it's, it's an NSAID, um, just like ibuprofen, which is also a COX inhibitor. But uh, Viox and Celebrex hit COX-2 receptor specifically. Um, so the difference is, is that ibuprofen has gastrointestinal side effects like ulcers, stomach upset, and stuff like that, um, and GI bleeding, and it, it definitely increases bleeding. But Celebrex is a drug that does not have those things. And Vioxx doesn't have those things. So they're like, oh, this is awesome. You know, we got basically an NSAID like ibuprofen without the side effects. Uh, wrong. These COX-2 inhibitors have a statistically dramatic increase in the amount of cardio cardiovascular events that are associated with it. So Vioxx was on the market for, you know, five years. Over 25 million Americans use this drug. And it was estimated that 40 to 60,000 people died, which is equivalent to the amount of people that died in Vietnam. Um, and those people died just from the side effects from prolonged exposure to the drug. And since a handful That's of those people had heart attacks in the clinical trial that were excluded, it was never seen as a safety signal to the advent uh, adverse event profile. And then we saw more people die from that drug than in Vietnam. Um, and they just paid a fine, <laughs> basically, right? Like they oh, just, yeah, yeah. They, the, they ended up getting it. about 12... $12 billion in sales. They had about $1.7 uh, $1 billion in litigation fees um, and then fines knocked them back and they still ended up profiting well over a billion dollars from this drug and this drug killed people. When they talk about that in prescription thugs, they reference the, yeah. the margin, right? That they know that they're going to have to spend X amount of dollars in settlements 
because they're either going to kill people or, or severely harm people. And that's just completely acceptable in the, the pharmaceutical world. Yeah, I, I, I think that the real material losses are good, but we need to start sending people to jail because nobody ever goes to jail. But as we Agreed. know, Merck, Merck is now marketing the drug Molnupiravir, which is a COVID treatment, um, which I literally got chills reading about. So um, my pharmacy has this one. Um, and you could read the package insert. The package insert is just like a, a piece of paper that's all folded up that comes on top of every single drug that comes to the pharmacy. And, and you can find these online, too. Um, but Hold I basically on. took Not a package. every single drug, TJ, because I've seen multiple videos of people asking for that documentation for the vaccines and their blank sheets of paper. <laughs> they are, but they're, they're available online. Um, oh, can, uh, you, can you send us that? I want to see some. Of yeah, that. I'll send. Yeah, I'll send it to you afterwards. Um, Thank you. Basically, they, they unfold the, the sheet and it's got like a barcode in the middle. And that being said, the, the, the fact sheet should definitely have the information on the fucking fact sheet, not on a barcode. Um, but you can you can barcode scan them. And even so, it's not a good read. It, it'll give you chills. <laughs> um, I do recommend the read, but only when you're in a decent state of mind. So basically, I read this one uh, for Molnupiravir, which is the COVID treatment. It's the COVID capsules. Um, it has so many blank sections that it's scary. And a lot of them basically say that you're literally part of an experiment if you take this and specifically pregnant women. Uh, since those are the only people that can get pregnant, contrary to popular beliefs, it's women. Um, they, they were asked to register in a trial and a program if they were to use this drug. Basically, like there's not any data on it and they're marketing it for women. And I'm not sure that doctors or pharmacists know this um, because not everybody reads these package inserts. So that being said, I would surmise that nearly uh, nobody's talking about it. Um, who knows that if if pregnant ladies have taken it and been fully counseled, and that brings us to like things like the Nuremberg Code, which I really don't want to get into, but like that's a topic that's a big fucking deal uh, because the Nuremberg Code is danced around, and too many people that are against uh, you know our point of view would say, oh, it's not you know nobody's violating it. I'm like, uh, yeah, the fuck you are actually. Um, almost every single day, uh, even outside of COVID, people violate the Nuremberg Code. Um, but some of them are crazy. And if you ever want to read them, just, you know, look it up and you'll never use any med ever again. But so wow. the, the, I, I looked at a study that talks about what we learned from Merck and Vioxx. And basically Merck based legal claims for nearly 30,000 people who had massive adverse events um, while taking the drug. It's actually called rafacoxib. Um, but denied basically all liability and they published a study of obscured risk like they they lied about the risk um because basically they i think that they had like three people out of eight thousand who had a heart attack and they were like oh they you know i don't know if it was nefarious or or idiocracy um they just left those three people out of the study and it was a massive safe, safety signal you know those three people that had heart attacks turned out to be 40 to sixty thousand people that had heart attacks when you gave it to 25 million people. Um, that's not good. But we can go on all, all day with these pharmaceutical fines and mishaps. Um, as we all, all probably know by now, Pfizer has the biggest fine in medical history. Um, it's, it's a drug called Bextra. Pfizer promoted this drug for off-label uses that were not proven, they're not approved. Then they were hit with the biggest healthcare fine in the history with $2.3 billion. That was, I think, 2005. But the problem with that is that everybody still profits off these um, and, and nobody ever goes to jail. So I, it's just that it's not a good process. We can be in litigation all day. We can, you know, give people money and, and be liable. 
Um, you know, you see the commercials for mesothelioma or whatever, but like that person still has a shit condition now. No money is ever going to change that. I'd rather have health than wealth. But um, like I said before, too, the 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 conflict of interest just go deeper and deeper and deeper. We know that eight to ten people on the NIH board um, authorizing the drugs and, and EUAs and stuff like that um, and, and offering grants, you know, colleges that get grants, they all come from the NIH. They they had eight to 10 people that were on the NIH board giving the grants that had financial investments in the company Gilead, which was responsible for the drug remdesivir. So remdesivir was and still is a drug that apparently inhibits viral replication by inhibiting the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. Um, that virus is then not able to make more RNA basically because the RNA polymerase will read the RNA, make you another strand, and then, you know, just keep replicating by that. So it it inhibits, excuse me, the polymerase, which allows you to make more RNA. Um, It's really simple. So it acts as a base analog of the remdesivir and it hops right into that mRNA sequence and it interrupts it. It basically just makes it read incorrectly and then it breaks the strand and it makes it not able to replicate. Um, Mm. But the problem is, is that we're using this drug with almost no evidence that it works because put side uh, there was other studies that showed that uh, remdesivir plus dexamethasone versus just dexamethasone. And actually the, the, the group with just dexamethasone did better. Um, and, and the problem that I think with this drug is, is two major things. One, we use it way too late in the COVID pathogenesis cycle. So there's a, there's a three-step process for the COVID cycle. First step, viral replication. Second step is where we get reactive oxygen species. That's where most people end up with like moderate illness where they're like, I feel like shit. Um, And then the third step is, um, and actually there's one thing I want to talk about. The second step, reactive oxygen species. There's a drug called NAC, N-acetylcysteine. It's an over-the-counter drug. And basically what it does is increases your glutathione production to help get rid of reactive oxygen species. So there is potential for that drug to be used in that. Um, but the third step then is where the spike protein uh, accumulates and causes coagulation. And that's where people end up getting strokes and stuff like that. And that's why you're seeing people stroke out and get myocarditis and heart attacks and stuff after the vaccine, because they're getting an accumulation of the spike protein, because we're literally injecting the mRNA sequence to code for the spike protein. And, and the reason you're seeing people um, of younger ages get the myocarditis is because they have robust immune systems. And I'm injecting them generally with the second dose of the spike protein and their immune system's jumping all over it. And the spike protein accumulation causes the myocarditis right around the heart. But uh, back to the remdesivir, we're using it um, for, for preventing viral replication, yet we're using it when people are hospitalized. We're using it way too late in the cycle, almost to when it's just moot. The second thing is that it, it causes a kidney injury, AKI, acute kidney injury, at a rate of 20 to one compared to baseline. Uh, that's, that's pretty fucking high, but Gilead is charging hospitals between, you know, 3000 and almost 6,000 per patient to use it. So there's surely money involved in, in the 37 and a half million grant that was given to Gilead from the NIH was, um, was pretty fraudulent in my opinion too, considering the eight to 10 people that were on the board. I don't know what you guys think about stuff like that. I mean, just, we, we've talked, uh, 
many times about this being in a giant conflict of interest all the way up the ladder, you know, from all the people involved, like just the rotating, you might as well put a turnstile in between the government and, and the pharmaceutical companies. And it's very much the same way in, in the censorship game too. Like you have people that have served uh, with Twitter and then go and serve with the government and vice versa. And just like they pass these people back and forth. It's, it's very incestuous. But also, it's it's a way that they keep it omerta. They keep it within the family, right? Like they're 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 always you know they're having each other's backs. They don't let the information leak out to the public. They use the same fucking platitudes and empty rhetoric all the time, just vapid shit. And you want to talk about vapid shit? I mean, just look at uh, the CDC director Rochelle Walensky the other day. Just oh, yeah, any mask will work. So if I put a string over my face, that's the same as wearing an N95. Yeah, may, maybe at this point, you know, when it comes to aerosol virus particles, what do I know? But, I would, you know, it, I would argue yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I but, saw a video you know, of a guy on an airplane get kicked off for wearing a thong over his face. That was so funny. Yes. You yes. know, they permanently banned that guy from that airline. Like lifetime <laughs> banned. Yeah, they had those red bands on him. his face. I thought that shit was great. That's Is this awesome. a point where we yeah. can give a shout out to Freedom Masks? You know, is, is that a, is that a, is that still a thing, John Henry? Do you know? Are they still um, around? Are they allowed fake to mask make them? Worldwide, are they man. That's all I wear. Fake mask worldwide. Yeah. Uh, it might be fake mask worldwide too, because they have been uh, their website has been shut down so many times. It's funny because basically everybody I know has them now uh, because they're fantastic. And uh, I don't know if we should talk about it on this one. Uh, number six, I haven't talked to you about this yesterday, but I actually uh, my family had a bit of an issue in uh, Costco here uh, oh, that no. I'm going to be uh, discussing with uh, somebody at a corporate level at, at Costco that I'm not very happy oh. about. That has to do with that mask, oh. actually. Go get them. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. This, is, this yeah. is a perfect time to talk about uh, policy genius. No, <laughs> no, no. It was a bench period. I love when he does that. But uh, just in the middle, absolutely. That being yeah. said, yeah, policy genius. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, ZipRecruiter. Um, if uh, oh yeah, another thing, the the vaccine expirations. Um, I didn't really. Think I was going to say anything. that's the one yeah. that blew my mind. Blew my yeah. mind. Please, I give you the floor, sir. So, uh, basic statement. People were getting expired vaccines. They didn't know about it. Um, for some period, there were uh, expired COVID-19 vaccines being given, and that was on purpose. And the only evidence I can find to support the use of this is from the Michigan DHS. Um, so basically, they put up a little chart that basically shows uh, the, the printed expiration date and then the updated expiry date. Um, and it's just three months beyond. So if it says October, 2021, that means October 31st, 2021. Um, but that means, uh, that now it's actually January, 2021 or 2022, excuse me. So there's a lot of stipulations to the storage and I can almost guarantee that not everyone has done this all correctly, like not even close because it's pretty complicated. The way it works is that they send you the batch of like the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine vials and a storage vessel that keeps it at temperatures about negative 70 degrees Celsius. So we're talking dry ice, like absolutely frigid. The vaccine can remain at that temperature for as long as you want um, up to, of course, the expiration date. But then the vaccine can then be stored in a regular feasible freezer for an allowable two weeks. And then the vial can be moved to the refrigerator, a regular refrigerator for a total of 31 days. And that's a general life cycle if you were to just not use it at all. And then you'd you know expire it. This is unless, of course, the vaccine expires. 
then the government just extends the date three months, I guess. So the new scenario and guidance given by the CDC simply extends the expiration date by three months. And that's even the case with these at-home tests. Now, literally, I was at work today and it, there was a little sign next to the boxes of at-home COVID tests that says, oh, it's just, if, if it looks expired, it's actually three months after the expiration date. And I'm like, what? Um, most vaccine vials have just a month and a year listed for the expiration date. So that means just the last day of the, of the month listed there. Um, it's not really an important metric because most of the time they don't mean that the product is becoming harmful if it's expired, you know, like with rotten milk, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to drink that because it's going to make me throw up. So these products generally don't become harmful when they're expired. That being said, there's not any data on this vaccine to, to say one way or the other. It generally just means that the product becomes less effective. It, it loses its active ingredient because of like half-lives and science and in and, and nuclear reactivity and stuff like that. So the dates are generally just listed as the best data that they have. And so with this vaccine, we only have like limited data because it's so new, you know, um, I can go back and I've said lisinopril on this podcast before. So lisinopril is like, I don't even know how many years old, but like we have at least 20 years of data on it. So we can say, Hey, it lasts at least 10 years. Um, with this one, we, we, we can't say any of that, but they're, uh, just extending the dates as if it's not a big deal. So some things may be stable for seriously long periods of time, but you can never really know, of course, until that time comes. Um, that's there's there's things of like half lives of like millions of years and you'll never see it degrade entirely. So there's not really a good method, but there is a method that we use to calculate it. And it's based on data that we have present to us. And it's called the Q10 method. It's a weaker calculation method kind of gives us a general sense of the expiration date of a product based on the data that we have and the temperature it's exposed to. So um, generally at a higher temperature, it degrades quicker. So um, if I leave my, uh, if I get a reconstitutable antibiotic, you know, like kids always use the ones that you have to, you know, have the pharmacist mix up and then um, keep them in the fridge or whatever. If you happen to leave it in your car for a day or whatever, it could destroy the half-life or the, the expiration date from like 12 days to like, it's dead, just like that. Um, sometimes it doesn't do anything at all, but that's why we have the Q10 method. Uh, the temperature exposure can change it so dramatically that you don't even know. And that's why I'm curious about how they found all this out was taking it from negative 70 to then to a regular freezer, then to a fridge. Then I leave the vial on the counter all day for six out, like six hours, 12 hours sometimes, you know, and we're still using it. So it's, it's experiencing some dramatic and, and drastic temperature changes. So it's, it's so new, to, it's possible to know the proper expiration, but the guidance we got was so weak and misleading that I can bet my life that the vaccinators across the countries didn't follow these procedures correctly. Um, and the thing about it was, is I brought it up to the pharmacist that I was working with and he's a great guy. And, you know, he, he, he's got a kid at home and he kind of doesn't really uh, get into it with me a whole lot, but I was like, no, dude, we're going to look this up right now. And we're going to figure out why they're just letting this go. Literally the only source that, that, that exists is the Michigan.gov. Uh, documents. I, I can't find anything else. And I don't know. And, and all it is, is a PDF of a statement. Like there's no study on it or nothing. There's no data. Um, but I disagree with the CDC guidance anyway, generally, but um, a lot of these people didn't even know that they were receiving technically expired vaccines. So the reason that they were able to do this, and it all ties back to the first thing I talked about of like community not being the same as the Pfizer EUA vaccine. 
Um, but it's not technically unprecedented, and it can be used on the emergency youth author use authorization section 564 of the FDNC Act. That's because the product is considered unapproved anyway. So there's there, there's not a person on earth that bears any responsibility. Um, had that been an actual community vial, they wouldn't be able to extend the expiration date because it doesn't fall under section 564 of the FDNC. So it ties back to the fact that community is not being used in the USA. And we can talk all day long about how the EUA vaccine and community are the same product but they probably are identical, but there's not a single person that can be held liable for anything with the EUA product and the use of community leaves persons to be held liable. That's why they're not using it. So let's, let's say that they're exactly the same thing. And the only difference between them is a label. The only reason we're not using communities because they know that any side effect that happens, they can be held liable if it's community. And when the EUA vaccine based under section 564 of the FDNC emergency youth authorization, there's nobody that can be held liable. And so I'm wondering how they're able to get through. I've called politicians you know, through and through in New York State trying to get the message out, how can they possibly mandate a vaccine that's not approved and not available? There's no good answer. Oh, and that's, uh, in my opinion, that I believe that's why they're pushing it so hard, even when it's at this point, too, where we're at with uh, the Omnicon, as we call it here, that it's so unnecessary for so many people um, that they're, they're pushing it so hard because this is that point where if they get everybody on the train, that they could point back years from now and say, oh, it was those first series of shots that you got that are causing these problems that you're now experiencing. And therefore, we have no liability. You've been taking boosters with us for the past 30 years, but it was those first two that did all the bad stuff and gave you this cancer that destroyed your uh, reproductive system, um, they, they gave you, you know, strokes or heart attacks. It's all that. Yeah. That was just the stuff that you can't sue us for. So sorry. You yeah. Know, I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking. It's you can't get through to these people because I try to, I try to keep it as simple as I can, because I know that when, when people are still pushing the vaccine, they must be stupid. And so I try to keep it as simple as I can. Um, pre-vaccine, this many people died. Now we have vaccine, more people died. Uh, mm -hmm maybe switch up technique, you know, like yeah. they, they still don't get it. They still yell at you, get vaccine, get vaccine. I'm like, I mean, obviously by the main metric of abating the pandemic, it's not working because more people are dying. There's more cases, you know, inflation's out of control, all these things, you know, you can't, you can't like tell anybody anything. Um, oh, I actually have to the make the fact that funny. there's so much that we don't know. The, the, yeah. the fact that you, you could basically leave um, a vial of community or the EOA authorized version of it, right? You could leave that under the same heating lamp that they keep the chicken nuggets warm with and then deliver that to somebody. And it's just like, nobody cares. They don't even know what happens if that happens. Like yeah. going in and out of freezers, things like that. What the hell? What if the power goes out? What, what if what if President Pudding Pants puts us in a war uh, over over natural gas over in in, in the EU and and the cost of you know gas here skyrockets because we we can't fucking take it out of the ground in our country anymore right and, and what if shit just starts collapsing as far as like the power grid and, and we're stuck with a bunch of warm vaccines that we're we're being forced <laughs> forced into us yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll be clear. I'm kind of in favor of inflation because I have a lot of college debt and the more it inflates, the less my college debt is. <laughs> I, I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. yeah but, Don't hate the player, um, hate the game. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I can't afford to eat anymore, but <laughs> um, 
So another thing that I just, it actually just hit me now is they send us like 30 different types of like syringes. And so all these syringes are not really super duper accurate. And then you take into account human error and stuff like that. Uh, nobody's even getting remotely close to the same dose on a, on a regular basis. Because when I draw it up into a syringe on a regular day-to-day basis, I, I bounce around between like 20 different pharmacies. None of them use the same syringes. And so none of the syringes have like the same markings on them. And so they're not really super duper accurate. So nobody's getting the same dose of these goddamn things either. It's it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and, and then I bring something and that's like wild. that up. Yeah. That's yeah, that's wild because Moderna's is like what ninety, uh, where Pfizer's is thirty. I forget the unit of measurement um, that they use. A hundred, a hundred like micrograms of mRNA for Moderna. Okay. Um, two doses yeah. of a hundred micrograms, and then Pfizer would, I guess, now based on their CEO stance, it should be three doses of the thirty micrograms. Yeah. That being said, well, they can course, put different Dr. adjuvants Boyla. and stuff in there, and adjuvants make it work better, um, or last longer and stuff like that. Um, that being said, they don't last very long at all. Nope. Um, nope. You get like a whole three months, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, a, a good example of what I was just talking about, though, is trying to get these people to just like think about their narrative. We have uh, October 3rd, 2020, no vaccine available, minimal treatments available, 4,242 total deaths in the week ending October 3rd, 2020. October 2nd, 2021. Vaccine available, vaccine available for a long time, booster available, 10,622 deaths. So two point something times more deaths when the vaccine was available. Now, by that very, very metric alone, obviously not working. That being said, we can backtrack and talk about how they've been inflating the numbers. And and Fauci's admitted now that there's a difference between going to the hospital with COVID and for COVID. but it's, it's just, yeah, those numbers debate. are all, yeah, they, I, th- I think they just get together in a boardroom and just decide. Cause like from what we've heard from uh, Scott Atlas, uh, uh, just about these people is that he, he tried to bring data and cite studies and doing the things that basically you're doing on our podcast right now. Um, and then the rest of the people were just like, they were there with their political talking points and their, their alliances, you know, and, and they were basically just sitting there just saying vapid shit and he would try and correct them and they wouldn't know anything. And, yeah. and I, I, I feel for you. Cause I mean, hearing that from coming from Scott Atlas, that's that high up there in the hierarchy and the medical medical community in, in our country that has holds that, you know, that much power over our lives, like seeing it from the top down from someone like him and then coming from someone uh, like yourself too, just reinforcing that, that this is, this, this is all throughout um, our modern medical system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing more to say about it. <laughs> yeah. I could present them with the data and, and I think Dan Bongino hits it real good. He, he always talks about the money ball rule. Uh, you know, if, if masks work, why aren't they working? If lockdowns work, why aren't they working? You know, um, if, if the vaccine works, then why aren't they working? It's, yeah. it's that simple. Um, and, and people just can't get it through. It seems, you know, uh, Robert Malone, everybody's talking about it now, the, the mass formation thing. It's, it's, it's all it is, is just a massive scale of cognitive dissonance. And I think a lot of people are, um, know that they're wrong at this point, but you know, they're, they're flailing and they don't want to be wrong. And then there's the group of people that are so stupid and they're so lost that they'll never don't, I guess the best way to put it is I think that there are people out there that I could, you know, 
show a video of them injecting somebody with cyanide and they would say that, you know, they would still defend it, you know, because it's for the greater good. They'd still have a defense for it. Those people are lost on. Oh, and Don I, I Lemon that, would tell you, yeah, we ought to do things yeah. all for the greater good now. And all I could Don't, think of was, yeah. uh, you know, S- Simon Pegg <laughs> yeah. Hot Fuzz, you know, the greater good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I can go on all night with all this stuff, but, you know, just let me know. I I, I appreciate everything that you've offered us. John Henry, do you, do you have anything to ask, ask TJ or comment on or anything he's gone over thus far? No, I just uh, I want to say thank you for spending some time. Um, you know, I think we covered a lot of really important points and critical information. And, you know, it's um, again for us, you know, on all these things, when it comes to uh, kind of the medical parameters and, and understanding, we tend to hit things on a pretty surface level. So uh, I just really am grateful to have an opportunity for you to share your expertise with us and and really take the deep dive tonight because, you know, as you said earlier, like people need to know this stuff. <laughs> like, like, you know, you made the comment, what was it? Shut up. Listen to me. Um, that you're fuck you. Listen to me. Something along those lines. And I just agree with it. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I'm glad that our listeners now have a chance to do that, uh, and to listen to you. And it's, it's important stuff. It really, really is. And, you know, we talked earlier about the pros and cons of the internet, you know, there's a lot of shitty parts of it, but, you know, the, the information piece of it like this and what you were able to share with us this evening, um, this is important for people to hear. Uh, it really, really is. And, you know, it, for them, it, listen, if one person that decides I, I'm getting my vaccinations, I'm getting my boosters, if one person takes from this when they're at the pharmacy to go, can you show me the expiration date or let me know whether or not that was sitting out? Just one it can make a difference. And, uh, I just appreciate you from being on man and, um, just everything that you shared with us and, and taking the time. So, uh, thank you. And, and thank you to number six and, and all of our listeners to, you know, keep coming back and spending the time with us. And, and most importantly, man, thank you for being on the team and being part of the community. And, you know, it is, it's just an example that, you know, we may not agree on absolutely everything, but when it comes down to the cure of what's best for people and, in humanity and overall health, uh, this stuff is really important. So I just uh, thank you for sharing everything. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, if there's one thing that I could say to anybody who's listening out there, you know, all the information I went through, um, a lot of it can be pretty deep uh, and, and kind of nuanced in, in scientific data, but uh, I could definitely get deeper. Um, and I want you to know that if you're a science backgrounded person or not at all, medical professional or not at all, Um, You have every right to talk about whatever the motherfuck you want to talk about. Um, And that's how we get to uh, the bottom of things. That's how we get to the proper information. So anybody out there, stand up for what you believe in. If you have information that you believe to be true, defend it. And if somebody changes your mind, that's great. Stand up for what you believe in and don't let anybody who's a medical professional tell you that you can't talk science because you don't have a science degree. I love that. Love it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, just everything that's been said um, between the two of you in the past couple minutes. And I just wanted to add, too, that, you know, TJ, I really respect you for what you do with your channel and reaching out and trying to make a difference. And I this year, uh, we we sort of came to an agreement, John Henry and I, that we wanted to expand our community and we wanted to bring in people from with different levels of expertise from different areas 
And uh, you you are a welcome addition to the show. I would love to have you back on in the future to talk about other topics and things. Um, you you both come you come across as both knowledgeable but also entertaining. Like you have a good sense of humor, you have a good personality for this, and I think that that, that helps people connect to the information too. Because if you were just sitting there just reading this information off to us, you know, from these studies and everything, people aren't going to be able to really take that in a lot, you know, in the same manner. So. Uh, I think that's very important the way that you approach it. Uh, I think you have a great attitude towards it. And I, and I know that these times have been tough on you, man. I know that you're under a significant amount of pressure in your community um, where you go to school and where, where you're, whom you're surrounded by. But um, I just want to let you know that, you know, we at the New Prisoners, we have your back and, and all of our listeners do too. So just, you know, do keep that in mind. Um, yeah. If it means anything. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, in the future, I'm hopefully going to be uh, on my channel as much as I can and, and giving out some good health information that's non-pharmaceutical related. And I'd love to come on and talk again about non-COVID things if you guys would, would definitely want I have any interest in that. Uh, TJ, oh, where can sure. everybody find you? Yes, um, please. I'm only on Rumble right now. You can you can find me. Um, you can either type in T right 8 or you can type in Healthy Courage. I'm not sure it'll come right up, but uh you know, um, T right eight or healthy courage. And, uh, my most recent video was just a, a, a 40 minute video where I talked about the effects of cold showers and things like that. And so I go through that kind of information there. Um, I'm only on rumble now because I refuse to go to screw tube, um, try to get off those <laughs> we, other platforms. We, we just but, got uh, kicked off. <laughs> we just got, yeah, we just got our first warning. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm not even messing around with it anymore. I'm only using it now as a uh, advertising platform. So I'm just going to put little, they have the YouTube shorts. Now I'm just going to do little fuck you YouTube shorts from now on to let people know where to come listen to us on, on a yeah. real platform like rumble or, and yeah. we, we've been killing it on BitChute. I, I would strongly recommend you uh, also putting your material up on BitChute because it's a different market. They're from the UK. They have, they have a different algorithm and it's just, it opens up to a whole bunch of people from Europe and other places around the world uh, that, that go there for information too. So if you, if you are looking to expand um, your, your audience, I would strongly recommend it. It's been good to us. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. I'll definitely check it out. And I'm always open to talking about cold showers. <laughs> We've actually discussed oh, that Oh, before. yeah. John Henry I'm, and I have been on that for years. Yeah, John I'm Henry longer than I am. Yeah. He's I've got me into it. Every day. Oh, this is, it feels day. so good. It's better than oh, coffee. Man, no question about that. There's so many positive benefits of that. So, uh, everybody, go check out that. <laughs> go check out TJ's video, man. We've been talking about it a bunch. Uh, you know, go have somebody else tell you that's way smarter than us. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, with that, um, did, did anybody want to add any more final thoughts or anything else to our audience before we wrap it up tonight? Yeah, let's go, Brandon. Absolutely. <laughs> let's Fuck go, Biden. Brandon. Man, yeah, before when you were talking about like levels of frigid and just like the minus 70 degrees and all that stuff, I don't know why, but all I could think of was Liz Cheney. <laughs> hey, Dan Crenshaw loves Liz Cheney. <laughs> oh, he loves her. Yeah. Uh, I patch ever looks at her with his good eye. <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you both. Uh, number six, and we'll sign us out. Will do. So, everyone out there, uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you found all this uh, informative and eye opening and just. Uh, maybe a couple epiphanies for all of us really 
uh, especially with that expiration stuff. Man, that's wild. But um, I included everything that uh, TJ talked about here on this week's source list. I uh, took all the links that he has for all the different studies and all the hard work that he put into that and attach that to the source list. So make sure to check that out on our Substack stack uh, under the, the uh, new prisoner number six. And um, also uh, just wanted to say uh, a huge th- uh, thank you to all of our new listeners and subscribers out there. Um, our channel has definitely picked up in the past few weeks, aside from YouTube fucking us, but I was expecting that. And uh, I really want a community out there on the alternative platforms. I'm glad that uh, I decided to start up a rumble page and, and, and even though uh, Instagram is a really shitty platform, I've been able to run into both TJ and Jane and Priya uh, through it. So even though we're shadow banned all hell, um, we, we're still finding a way to build our community, uh, get stronger, get larger, bigger, faster, stronger, like John was talking about, uh, John Henry was talking about before. And um, until we meet again and until we are free, we are the new prisoners. Thank you for listening to The New Prisoners. Let us know what you think about this week's topic on our Minds page and Substack, or leave a comment under our video on BitChute, Odyssey, or Rumble. You can also risk being shadow banned, suspended, or permanently banned on Twitter and Instagram with us. Please feel free to share your own sources with us and to share the information we provided you here. You never know what kind of difference it could make. And if you would like to be a guest on an upcoming show, please email the new prisoner number six at protonmail.com. Tell us what topic or topics that you would like to discuss, and a screener will contact you. You can choose to appear anonymously if you like. Demand answers, not orders. We are the new prisoners.